Okay. Good morning. Oh. Welcome to the Heavy Hole. My oh. name's Tom. Oh, at top of the morning over there, Tom. How you doing? I'm uh, Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. Uh, it's uh, always morning somewhere. Yeah. Uh, as they say. Yes. Yeah. Some people talk about it being 5 o'clock, but we're not concerned with that. No, that's what well, we are. We're drinking buddies right now. Tom, we got to take them right in. Right. Uh, we got. We got. Uh, we're gonna do right off the top of the show. What do you? What did? What did you just hand us? Okay. So I just gave you some Grumpy Glenn's breakfast blend. Now that would Ooh. be referring to Glenn Benton, uh-huh. um, mm-hmm. lead singer and bass player of Deicide, amongst other God-hating projects. Uh, he has released his own coffee. This isn't an advertisement. Yeah. But I gotta say, it's pretty good. Yeah. No. This is like right off the. If anyone out there listening is involved with coffee and you want us to advertise your coffee company, holler, heavyholepodcast at gmail.com. But seriously, no, this is, we're tasting this, it was, it was spontaneous, we're living in the moment, like Jay-Z said, we're forever young, and, and Tom offered me the coffee, and, uh, and we're taking, I'm drinking this, we're, get, we're getting your react, the reaction, right? This, this is the Heavy Old <laughs> Podcast coffee reaction right off the top of the show. Here we go, ready? I'm going to drink it. It's holding it up, it's touching the lips right now. Sounds like Paula down the pipe. Mm. That is my type of co-op. Very dark. Yes. Yeah. Dark roast, if I'm not mistaken, sir. Yeah, I think breakfast blends are just kind of your... Uh, I think they do lean a little darker. Could be wrong, but either way, it has a very I drink it. Nice classic. Yeah. It reminds me kind of like those classic old Folgers dark roast from the... It has a nice classic throwback 80s. Reminds me of being a kid and smelling the coffee. coffee. That, yes. that, that coffee that came on VHS. <laughs> yeah. Not this fucking DVD streaming coffee. Well, I got a shout, a shout to Tom for giving give to me in the uh, the Spaceballs mug. Um, you know, this is like a double nostalgia trip for me. I love this, man. You got the movies and death metal and everything kicking in one. Um, yeah, my heart, the heart, BPMs of my heart are increasing. Yeah. Uh, nice. As, uh, to, to I, the fastest wait, DSIs. Yeah, wait, wait till you get the, uh, the Steve Ash on. <laughs> uh, I, I espresso would. Espresso blend. Yeah, wait, wait a minute. I wasn't in the room when you made this, Tom. This is a trust exercise here, by the way, buddy. Uh, uh. But, uh, yeah, no, I would drink this again. I actually do like this, man. I like, I need dark roast. I like dark coffee. I like it to be, uh, I like coffee to punch me right in my fat mouth. So let me ask you guys, uh, is this the first coffee you've had this week? And tell me uh, what you did after that coffee that you had first. This is a this hell of a way to ask how your week was. I I feel like you bought me one of those $10 lottery tickets that turns into Sudoku. <laughs> and, and, you just, and you don't win anything by ask, by the way you phrased that, sir. Yeah. But thank you for making me think. Um, no, actually, this is the third cup of coffee I've had today. I'm a maniac. Nice. Uh, I planted jalapeno peppers. Um, a lot of them. I planted over a dozen jalapeno pepper plants today on Smith Manor. It was wild. Wow. And here's a trick. Salsas coming uh, out Yeah, soon. it's all coming at you this fall. I got the potato plants kicking. Tough guy. Um, yeah, it was going down this morning. I was sweating. I was in an impetigo shirt, um, coincidentally. But listen... <laughs> Um, uh, uh, to bring it back to death metal, uh, another thing, um, that was going on out there, uh, it, it was, it was a little nuts. Uh, maybe you got a problem with rodents, raccoons. I don't know where you live. Rats, mice, they're everywhere. I, I don't know rat. what's going on. Okay. Uh, but you don't want it, but you, but you, you're, you're, you're a softy like big will. You don't want to kill the little fuckers. No, I'm sorry. Listen, um, for the kids. I'm sorry about that. Listen, what I did, we were having problems with raccoons in the yard. 
They're coming in. They're partying. They're breaking the trees. They're breaking the vegetables. They're digging holes everywhere. Somebody might trip in the holes and break their ankle. It could get bad. So I have foresight. Like that movie, um, uh, the, dead zo- the Dead Zone. Oh, yeah. Christopher Walken, The Dead Zone. Right. I got yeah. It. Uh, yeah, I was foreseeing things. I didn't want to happen. I got some politicians. Gotta gotta take them out in the church. Hot chili mm-hmm. cayenne pepper. Cayenne pepper. How do you say that? Cayenne. Cayenne, cayenne pepper. Yeah, Hot yeah. chili cayenne pepper. I'm gonna edit that. No, we're not. <laughs> Keep it real. I got a big old jar of that. You sprinkle a little bit of that and mix it in with the soil. Real good and water it in wherever you guard your vegetable garden. Right. Your tree line. Wherever you want these mother these bastards out. Uh, whatever, groundhogs, rats, whatever you got, squirrel, I don't know what's bothering you, man, you man uh, an ex, I don't know if it's going to work for humans, but listen, that stuff kept them away great, you didn't have to chop anybody's head off, you didn't have to shoot anybody with any pellet guns, glue traps, uh, none of that stuff. Spiced Earth. You just got, yes, yeah, Spiced Earth, my new nice. band coming uh, to you. Yeah. Um, no, yes. listen, yeah, I spiced the earth, so that's, that's my tip of the day, that's my tip of that, it's my humane uh, uh, mammalian um, uh, problem uh, solver of the day. But listen, Justin, yeah. I want to know how humane your weekend was. Well, I have a rat problem, and it's that there has been no new rat album uh, in quite some time. Mm-hmm. That is, so I just want to kind of get that I, out of the way. I like that. I appreciate what but you did. I appreciate it. Man, I've been, I've been hitting the bass, dude. I've been slapping the bass. I found him. What did he do to you? Striped bass fishing a lot lately. You did. We got to put that picture up for, yeah, on the we Patreon. Yeah, we got to send that picture to the web. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, got got a keeper, finally, dude. The boyhood dream has come true. Uh, ate the fish I caught. And in Centerport, dude, uh, mm. off of a bridge. Uh, nice. Next to a church. Wow. Uh, outgoing tide. Awesome. Uh, is this a Plants. Blue Oyster Cult song? No, or? but it's, it, it is. It is a story of triumph and healing. Okay. Uh, it, it, the uh, the people that were there that witnessed this uh, just heroic yes. feat of strength, uh, yes. me reeling in, uh, just nature's just bounty, the, the, the toughness, the muscle, yes. the fat, the fatty omega acids. Reeling the, in the uh, years. Um, we had people ac- across the entire political spectrum, uh, multicultural um, happenings going on. Uh, you mustaches were, did, everywhere. It didn't matter what color you were, are or came from. Wait, it was a beautiful thing. All on the did, bridge. The the Huntington Pride Parade went through where you were fishing? What happened? I there? was the fucking head of the Pride Parade, man. Because I you, took that fish and we we, we just went down yeah, the street. This, this guy, we went down the street with I him. mean, that, okay. Uh, okay. I I still am just wishing I went fishing this year. Yeah, I, dude, you got to come. I'm glad. I'm glad everything was nice. Over that sounds like a beautiful day, man. You're a that's not like, that sounds today. like that. Like everybody could just break out in a song and yeah, nice day. Justin caught the fish, kind of theatrical. Damn work. near the beginning of Austin Powers, like but with fish. Hell yeah, that's wow, great. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, Tom, I'm not expecting you to top that. No pressure. I don't want to top that. What I, I just want to make sure you're okay. I want to make sure you're doing good. No, I just want to say one thing real quick. It has nothing to do with my week. Uh, on the Patreon, I had posted a a cover that I did. I was venting about covers on a bonus episode, uh, so I showed you how to do it. So I uploaded uh-huh. on YouTube. I'm going to make it public like tonight or something. Yes. A Tom Waits cover of the song Singapore, but. Mm. Entirely in the style of Dying Fetus. Yes, you did. It is, it's called From Womb to Waits. My mm-hmm. friend Ray came up with the idea, and I'm very proud of it, and I'll be sharing that with you. So go check out From Womb to Waits. Absolutely. On YouTube. It was a lot of fun, and uh, it's probably the best metal cover out. It is the best metal cover out there. Who it's am I kidding? Stunning. Yeah. 
the only one, really. Uh, yes. Probably the best mashup of heavy metal in another genre since Lil John sampled Ozzy Osbourne. Right, and usually we use humor here, no humor whatsoever. I'm very serious. It no, is no that song Fine. changed yeah. my life. Hell yeah, dude. I had amazing sex to that. No, I'm sorry. Listen, guys, yeah, uh, now we're talking. A long time ago, uh, before we, we went off, uh, you know on this crazy tangent about having sex outside and cayenne pepper and burning yourself mm-hmm. um, while the honey the Huntington Pride Parade goes past your, hel- sa- your house singing the Austin Powers musical with Justin at the helm yep. with a, what were we doing? What I was, was go- it was, that was like cr- a pied piping this rats is, behind me that was a wild round round. tangent listen yeah. <laughs> I said something about movies and death metal alright right and I want to bring our listenership back to things they appreciate. Matter of fact, I want to bring us back to our listenership. That's why tonight, longtime listener and supporter Pat Bruss of Crypticus is on the horn, or at least we're gonna. He's actually he's on the horn waiting right now. Yeah, we're he's being, waiting for we're us. Being so we're being rushing this. We're being rude. Let's being rude him to him. Let's stop being rude. Get him on the horn. Let him into the. Let him in the room. Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast. Uh, by my side, as always, my loyal co-hosts, Justin and Tom. Yeah. Hello. And tonight, our special guest is not other than longtime listener and supporter, Pat Bruss of the band Crypticus and Other Acts. How you doing, Pat? Wonderful. And by the way, thank you on the perfect pronunciation of my last name, which nobody can get, even though it's super simple. I, I'm, I'm, I'm rolling the dice with the last names. I just pronounce them <laughs> without asking a lot of time. You've been doing and good recently. I do, I do okay. Yeah. I do okay. Hey, man, well, thank you for the show. Thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate your time, man. It's an absolute honor. I love you guys. Hell yeah, man. And, and uh, as you know, uh, listening to the show, um, as you have in the past, we should also mention, actually, you've been on the show already. Um, in the form, in the form of some voicemails, uh, and we encourage everybody to leave voicemails. Um, but uh, this, you know, we had to get you through for the for the live line and, and talk to you finally, man. It's been a long time. We've been trying to set this up, but um, you know where I'm going. Uh, just to start off, we always ask if you're from a particularly musical family uh, or a family where anyone was like uh, prone to playing heavy metal or hard rock. But I got to start off because right here on your Metallum profile, um, mm-hmm. it says something about Patrick's mother is, and this is like word for word on Metallum. If you want to refute it or, or play, if they got it right, by the way, <laughs> this is what the government? Yeah, says this this is this is not according to Big Will. This is this is a, a fact check, right here. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, but it, you know, it just says Patrick's mother is Brazilian. He spent his first several years in Brazilian schools and is fluent in Portuguese. Yes, that is correct. I'm not so fluent anymore, but yes, that is correct. All right, I was hoping to practice. Eu sei como conversar em português, mas eu só lembro um pouquinho. Eu estava oh, uma criança quando eu vivi no Brasil. So, yeah. Okay, you yeah, 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 I can piece that together. Okay. Eu só falo um pouco de português. Uh, oh, você, você sabe um pouco de português. Uh, eu não lembro nada de português porque eu, eu sou velho. Yeah, I'm learning. I just say cool things like legal. Oh, legal. <laughs> yeah, nobody gets those pronunciations right either. Everybody pronounces uh, 
Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese, like it's uh, Spanish or something, but it's it's much closer to French or something. So your pronunciation there was pretty good. I'm getting beat over the head with it. I love it. Like I've been learning it and on and off. And yeah, it's cool. Are you cool learning uh, bra- uh, like metal Brazilian, as in like learning it through metal bands from Brazil, or are you actually just tackling it head on? <laughs> Because um, so, I, I know Swedish, metal Swedish only, if you know <laughs> what I'm saying. I know what you mean. Yeah, I could say Hatos Tupanau and Sogafogo. Oh, very good. Like, I could say those right. I could um, say Rotting yeah. Flesh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lymphatic Phlegm, pretty good with Flesh Christian. Grinder. Yes. I'm drinking this coffee. For, I think it's from South America. It's like, <laughs> yeah, nobody can pronounce Hatos Tupanau. So, Hato yeah, good work there, sir. Yeah. But, yes. And, uh, you know, Sambo Giovanna. It's fun, you know. You gotta go classic too. But uh, yes, so to answer your question in a very long way, there, yes, my mom is Brazilian, and uh, to also answer uh, where this is going, she was the one that was kind of particularly musical. But uh, that's a that's a long story. There, we can get into if you'd like to. Well, n- well, not to pry, um, but <laughs> but but we do like to know, uh, even if it's not necessarily metal or rock oriented, it's always interesting to know. Uh, the history um, that kind of led into your your work in in music. So, so well, yeah, yeah that's not? what I'm saying. Yeah, she uh, she was very much into like craft work and Gary Newman. Oh wow! And uh, uh, Pink Floyd and you, you proggy '70s stuff when I was a kid. So she played a lot of that when uh, I was growing up. So I think in some way or another that had to have for sure influenced me musically because I I just like she'd be cleaning the house. She'd be uh, playing Cars by Gary Newman. Or, or I mean, the, uh, she'd be playing the whole album, The Pleasure Principle, and yes, uh, so yes. just that synth sound sunk into me at a very young age, and I think I, I was very much drawn to music just through that, even though she herself doesn't necessarily approve of the music I make mm. right now. But uh, yeah, I'd say she was an influence for sure. Well, that's interesting. A quick shout to Travis from Rose to Mortem. I cherish the copy of that Gary Newman album. Oh yeah, it was pleasure principle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I ju- I'm just familiarizing it with uh, my myself with it the last month or two. I just received the synth sound like, on that is just so I don't know. It's so unique. Yeah, well, it's it's a, it's an original tape from whenever it was released. It's an old tape, so I'm having a lot of fun listening to it and just just wow. uh, getting into it. But yeah, Travis from Rose Mortem gave me a little uh, a tape uh, tape uh, drop um, uh, a few a few weeks ago. That was yeah. great, man. But but um. That, well, because that's interesting to me because, you know, we talk about Crypticus, not jumping ahead, but, uh, you know, you've, you've composed music that is synth-based horror movie music and, and kind of mm-hmm. incorporated that in the quote-unquote Razorback Records style into your music of horror movie blended with gore grind. Like, would you say that that, that plays a role, like an early interest in synthesizer sounds and things like that? Yeah, I guess it was kind of uh, subconscious, but yeah, now that I'm getting older, I, I look back on the stuff I've recorded and I really realize, like, oh yeah, yeah, I was... Because uh, I'm also, just leading from the Gary Newman on, um, I, I love 80s music. I love mm-hmm. 80s goth rock, I love Sisters of Mercy, I love all that, like, I, I mean, even into the fruity stuff, I love, like, mm-hmm. the Mission UK and stuff like that, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so... so I guess I'm a, yeah, and, you know, also coupled with my love for gross, disgusting death metal and horror movies. Synth and horror movies goes really well together, so I, I think there's an influence there, too, from just uh, horror movies, but, uh, yeah, I, it, it all filters into Crypticus, for sure. Well, I gotta say, what about Tangerine Dream? 
Uh, they're not evil sounding enough for me, mm. but I like some of their soundtracks they've done. You know, like like uh, didn't they do that that first Tom Cruise movie, Legend, uh, Risky Legend. Business? Oh, well, well, yeah, what they did on Legend is is really great. Which, by the way, was a last minute replacement score they did. Have you ever heard the original score for Legend? Oh, I've seen. That was it. Yeah, well, symphonic. I, I believe I have. Yeah, I, I the version I have a DVD that's definitely the Tangerine Dream version. Well, there uh, there was an original score to that, but now see, I'm the one who jumps around here, so don't worry about jumping around. Uh, this is how my mind works, so please forgive all the uh, the tangents I'm going off on here. But uh, there's do. an original score to Legend by I, I want to say it's. Um, Alan Silvestri or someone like that. Yeah. And if you watch it with that symphonic score, it sucks. It just oh. is not the same. And then you watch it with the Tangerine Dream score, it's like really weird and nightmarish and evil yeah. and, and, you know. Yeah, so I, I hear you. But uh, I've never gotten into their albums. Just I, I love their movie work. Yeah, I, I only know that and kind of like a dubbed. I don't know. I don't even know what album it would be from, but some some, some random stuff from years ago. But and I knew I always knew there was like a story there where there was the Tangerine Dream version and another version. But that, uh, that's that's interesting, man. But there was also that movie um, Next of Kin, Australian horror movie. Okay, really good. Um, I I think the story goes oh, is that the drummer of Tangerine Dream was hired to do the score for it, and they used Tangerine Dream as like a temp while they huh. were editing it together and then when the drummer finished the score the director was like oh the temp was better and it was like oh, a, wow. it was kind of a wash because it was still his music but uh, so that has a lot of cool Tangerine Dream stuff in it that movie. I, I'm, I'm familiar with that movie so yeah I'll have to I'll have to check that out yeah, see now you're talking my language here see horror movies synth all this stuff it goes right into yeah, because dude. I don't care what genre it is you know it, as long as it's evil and creepy to me, it's going in. Okay, well, so 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 we kind of you know know the music is from mom. What what age do you move to the United States? Well, uh, I was actually born in Indiana, so okay. uh, my mom was a transplant to America. Uh, I was born in Indiana. Then we moved to Brazil when I was uh, want to say six. Yeah, I was six. Lived there for four years. Went to grades one through four there. Then we moved back to uh, Indiana in 1984, which is you know right at the height of. I came back to American culture right when American culture was the 80s. American culture was yes. really popping and was great. Heavy metal horror movies synthesizers. Yeah, yes, totally. <laughs> That's it. It reminds me a little bit when we interviewed um, the classic death thrash band Approbrium, who used to be called Incubus uh, in the 90s. Oh yeah. Uh, I enjoyed that interview very much. Uh, yeah, so so did I. Great, great, um, great to talk to uh, Francis Howard, um, and and uh, he had a, a some somewhat similar story just about having family. Some of his brothers were born in the United States, and and he was from Brazil, and the family ended up kind of reuniting in the United States after many years, and and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. So, um, yeah, just kind of an interesting parallel there. Um, now, when you went, so you say you like you land back in the United States, right in the middle of all the all the cool stuff that we all grew up with um, in the eighties. Uh, like, what is there like a culture shock from having been in Brazil for for several years or something like that, or, or like what is? Do you have a different take on things from the other kids? Well, I must uh, say it was kind of the opposite. I kind of was in culture shock when I was in Brazil because it was. Uh, we lived in uh, Goiás, Formosa, Goiás, which was a very small town. And I mean, I'm talking like kind of like people still riding horses around and stuff. Yeah. And so it was, 
everyone there was super superstitious. Uh, you know, I was this kid who was obsessed with Star Wars and horror and monsters and stuff, and I moved there. Uh -huh. And uh, people there are literally afraid of monsters <laughs> and demons and stuff. And uh, there's, you know, so many crazy local legends and, and superstitions there. So it, it was not really a super fun place. Everybody was constantly evil. <laughs> and I was constantly enjoying evil. So uh, when I moved back to America, li okay, th th literally the first week that I moved back to America... My aunt took me to see Ghostbusters in the theater, and then like a week later, we went and saw Gremlins in Jesus. the theater. And I was like, "I'm I'm in hog heaven. This, this is my culture. This is my culture." So, yeah, it was uh, it was just I felt really at home, and I, I just felt everything that I embraced was like, "Oh, this is yeah, okay, I belong in America." So, sorry, mom. God damn, this is just I got I got a tear in my eye. That was. <laughs> That was beautiful. All right. Oh, yeah. I, that, 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 that's that's a miracle. All right. So now, all right. So I was I was gonna ask you where the horror movies come in, but like right there, man. They, that's kind of like <laughs> that's almost my story too, man. You know, and I had an uncle who uh -huh. like kind of was able to show me the deep cuts on horror. Like he was into horror movies the way I'm into death metal, so he was able oh, to like, yeah. guide you know guide the path. But um, when does performing music what like when do you get an instrument in your, or when do you get the yearning to have an instrument in your hands well okay that again goes back to my mom because uh, she would she had an acoustic guitar just kind of laying around she would play it here and there she uh, she was uh, just kind of like a chord based uh, acoustic guitar player would uh, just m mainly she just noodle around with like uh, Simon and Garfunkel stuff like that she never did anything uh, uh, of her own music wise but that guitar was laying there my entire life and as I kept getting older I'd start plucking it when I'd go by it and she'd always don't touch it don't touch it did you mess with it because I can see it's out of tune you've been messing with it so it was this kind of artifact for a while and then uh, when I got a little older I want to say around 16 or so I started uh, when she'd leave the house I, j I this is when I started getting into thrash metal i started watching headbangers ball and all that so i was like well i i got i this is in my blood now i, I need to touch something that makes this kind of so I, I was trying to learn to play <laughs> thrash metal guitar on her acoustic guitar when she wasn't around i didn't understand anything about distortion or amps or anything so, or even how to play at all with a pick i was picking it with my fingernails and eventually she caught me and it was kind of a situation where she said, okay, listen, if you're really interested in this, you'll stick with this. And if you stick with it, I'll give you a guitar. So uh, that's when I just went nuts. And I, I uh, this would have been, I want to say this, this would have been shit. This would have been early 90s. Early 90s, 92, I think. And uh, I learned how to do play the the intro to um what's that iron maiden song wasted years learned to play the intro to wasted years by iron maiden on the acoustic guitar and i showed it to her and she was like okay you know what let's let's get you let's get you a real guitar so she donated to me an electric an old electric guitar, an old Aria Pro 2 that I still have. And uh, just from there, I just went crazy and started noodling around. This was right at the height of thrash metal. So, so that's what got me into it in terms of metal itself. Uh, because 
seriously, previous to a thrash metal, I think the only thing I cared about was uh, synth, 80 synth stuff and uh, hip hop. I was heavily into hip hop when I was a kid, but uh, I, I, you know, clearly didn't make any inroads in that genre. Mm, okay. Uh, and you, you're, uh, uh, have you lived in Colorado, like, since that point? No, no, I've lived all over the place. I've lived in, uh, Indiana, uh, North Carolina. I've lived in, uh, Arkansas. Uh, most of this took place in Arkansas. Uh, I lived, most of my, uh, impressionable childhood years were spent in, um, Arkansas. So, so not, I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, not a lot of opportunities to see big touring bands in your No, teenagers. sir. And in fact, not even many opportunities to get, I lived in a really small town, not even opportunities to buy a lot of good tapes or anything, or even see a lot of good horror movies. So it was, everything to me was, was really scrounging to find stuff. And every now and again, there'd be some crappy uh, cover bands that would come to the, the fairgrounds. And that was the most metal thing that ever happened around there. You know, so it was all just uh, my, me and my friends nerding out. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, because we, we, we've had, uh, we shot to, um, at, we recently had Ecto Void on from mm -hmm. uh, Alabama. And, um, you know, there's, there's just parts uh, down there in, in the deep south where uh, bands don't always, you know, the touring uh, is, doesn't always happen. And another thing is you talk about being in a more rural part of Brazil where people still believed in more super, superstitious beliefs and things like that. Then you come to the United States uh, in the impressionable 80s and maybe early 90s. You talk about Arkansas, uh, even North Carolina. I don't know what part, you know, what parts you're in, but you're in parts that are kind of known to be more conservative. And in that time mm -hmm. period... It's not necessarily the way in Brazil people were looking at it, but you still have people that are looking at heavy metal and horror movies in that more conservative Christian satanic panic mindset that I bring up a lot on the podcast. Did you did you see a lot of that or? Oh, bro, you have nailed it right on the <laughs> head. Uh, yeah, that was going to come up pretty soon because my mom was pretty much the captain of the satanic panic <laughs> wow. in my city. Wow. Yeah, so uh, I've been fighting an uphill metal battle for. <laughs> So, yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, all those places I've lived in. Uh, I lived in uh, North Carolina. It was, uh, we lived in Boone, but it, that was when I was like a, a toddler. But, uh, yeah, uh, most of what we're discussing took place in Arkansas. And, like I said, in the late 80s, early 90s, just that stuff was crazy all over the place. Like, I, I remember um, just my interest in, in metal at all. And this was, you know, before shit got really nasty with you know dsi and all that coming in when uh, it was still thrash metal i had people at school saying that i was uh, i was a satanist and that they saw me killing cats and stuff <laughs> uh oh can you guys hear me yeah i got an interruption we're, we're okay good. it says my connection might be uh unstable well okay anyway uh <laughs> i was constantly getting accused of th i was a really meek kid like meek nerdy kid i'd basically just sit on the bus and read horror novels and you know listen to my listen to metallica on my uh, walkman but everybody would just accuse me of everything and you know and i liked to draw evil shit too so so i had to hide that uh my mom would kind of ransack through my room every now and again you know she was convinced that if i she she totally believed by the way that uh the Judas Priest backmasking thing. That when that trial was going on, that you know they had the evil messages in their music. She completely believed that. Bought into that. She was uh, completely convinced that uh, all metal music was uh, some kind of uh, 
recruiting tool and that it had back mask messages in it and stuff so so it didn't help that the really cool bands really were doing cool evil stuff so so yeah it was it was i frequently had to hide my cds and tapes and stuff the way you'd hide porn mags when you were a kid and uh i don't know that just probably made it more exciting for me though huh wow that's i mean we <laughs> we've heard somewhat similar stories and, and we can all laugh and look back at it now but um <laughs> You know, look at a story like the West Memphis Three, right? That's that's what that case was called. Oh was yeah, with that? oh yeah. I mean, those. If I'm not mistaken, I believe that guy is still in, in prison. No, no, uh, they out. got out. They got yeah, out. Okay, uh, okay. Damien Eccles is out. Yeah, Damien Eccles. I when I saw that case, I was already living in Colorado when that was going on. Yeah. That really, really hit hard for me because when I saw that, I was like, that kid was me. He just didn't know the right things to say in court, and they just nailed it. That could have been me at any moment if something like that had happened in my town. They would have pointed the finger right at me. (laughs) So, yeah, I really had huge sympathy for that kid. Yeah, I I, I read up on it uh, many years ago. I haven't seen, I know there's been some more recent documentaries and stuff, man, but I haven't followed it. But, yeah, it's, it's, you know, and like we say, you know, we can laugh about it now, but there's some people who didn't um, di- didn't didn't make it through that era unscathed, and and those those that time and place unscathed. Yeah, uh, interesting history there, man. Um, and you know, even like Judas Priest, uh, you know, with lawsuits and being blamed for for things. And it's uh, it's 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 always very interesting to me to to look back because I was a little too young. I got into metal, and metal was just kind of like boring, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like the late '90s when it was all about hardcore, but. They were I thought you were older than me, Will. The, I, well, I'm I'm 38. Oh my God, I'm so much older than you. Really? Please, please edit this out. Don't <laughs> let anyone know how old I. am. <laughs> no, I'm an old fart. I uh, yeah, nobody can seem to guess my age because I act like a 16 year old idiot. But yeah, I'm old. <laughs> well, it's it's all good, man. Um, I I'm actually, I yeah. I, by the time I got into metal, they were doing like little like exposés on on. TV news shows about like the vegan straight edge stuff <laughs> and like those guys and the fights at the hardcore shows like metal was just like you know loses its edge after was not dangerous anymore yeah. <laughs> but, but whatever well hey I, guys I gotta tell you I gotta tell you you are speaking to a death metal vegan right here so all right hey respect. So how right. dare you how dare you dude just just don't fire bomb a quiz nose and we're good right <laughs> like just yeah, I apologize on behalf of my fishing friends here. Yeah, yeah. We no more fishing talk tonight, Justin. All right, we'll, we will share the picture. Um, but uh, moving on, not to get too. Ta- I, I forgot where we were going now. But oh yeah, the Satanic Panic, the South. Mm-hmm. So you get that bass guitar. There's like this this street. Now you electric you, guitar. Uh, electric. I'm sorry, electric guitar. Um, well, that's that, that's kind of where I was going because there's a band that you're credited as being part of Dethroned, and they go back pretty far. I'm going out on a limb. Were you in Dethroned early on? See, that's uh, that's more uh, okay. That was uh, okay. Are you guys familiar with Excommunion from Colorado? I'm not. I'm not. Okay, either. you guys would probably really dig that band. You should check them out. They broke up, but Excommunion was a huge band here, kind of uh, on the uh, immolation, incantation tip. Uh, I, when I moved here, I became friends with uh, one of the main guys in the band, Terry, who is also known as Christ Butcher from Maveth and a bunch of other stuff. He's, oh, uh, yeah. Okay, well, I was friends with him, and he was starting Dethrone at that time. And he's, he, I was playing Crypticus demos for him at the time. 
and he, he was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, you should join my band. I was like, oh, that'd be great. Yeah, to, we're looking for a bass player. And I said, uh, okay, well, I guess. All right, mm. well, let's hear your stuff. And I heard the demos. I was like, okay, I can't play this shit. This is insane. I can't play this. This is. He's like, oh, no, you'll be fine. Like, no, I cannot play this. It's this not the style I play. You're, you're, like, he plays really crazy technical riffs only he could write, you know, that kind of shit. So um, I'm a little more old school in, in my riffery. Uh, and uh, but he he just immediately put me on the the encyclopedia metallum he's like yeah well you're part of the band now it's like okay well i never played with them practiced once never recorded anything <laughs> but then i hung out you know we were buddies for many years drank a million beers together uh he he had a lot of input on my early crypticus demos and stuff but uh yeah that's a uh, terry christ butcher he eventually uh moved to Finland now, and so he started doing. Um, well, with a traditional, the, the traditional Finnish surname like that. The, you know. <laughs> well, he, yeah, he he's very very white American, and he moved to Finland. And I honestly don't even know if that guy can speak Finnish. So that is like more power to him. That was like a really brave thing I felt he did. He like started a family over there and everything. But yeah, so now he's just huge in the in the Finnish death metal scene. I don't think people there even know that he's American. Uh, he just put out that new uh, CD with a uh, prescription, which is fucking amazing. So he, he's still doing great stuff. But, yeah, that was just him being very nice to me. Okay. All right. See, I go out on a limb. I feel like it was worth it, though. We got a cool story about Christ Butcher over there in Finland. Shout to him. Um, now, so Crypticus is already going by that point. Wait, let's just go back. What's your first actual venture into being in a band or creating uh, music? Is it Crypticus? Oh, no, no, no. This is, you're really opening up a lot of stories here. This would be in Arkansas. I, my first band officially was this band that we called Slog. And it was kind of, uh, it was, this was, you know, right at the height of grunge. I was trying to be in a band that was kind of like Caius. And the other two dudes in the band were trying to be in like Nirvana. And I kept trying to make things heavier. After a while, I started getting heavily into prong and stuff. This was like right out of high school. We were just kids. And uh, we would play in uh, the drummer's living room. And uh, it eventually tore apart because I kept getting more and more into evil death metal and thrash and shit and they kept getting more and more grungy and you know they they would actually be upset when i would write a riff that i palm muted or had any kind uh. of technicality to it or anything so that was right around uh 1994 and 95 and uh yeah we did slog for a while played played quite a few gigs around norflet and Smackover and other other wonderful southern towns um any any good stories about locals at those those shows? Any 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 really interesting smack nights? Smackover, smack yeah. <laughs> Love to name that town. <laughs> were they ready for slog? Yeah. Uh, well, see, we were pretty heavy for the town, and again, came a lot of the uh, well. The one of the uh, venues we played at was a local little venue that a friend of ours opened called Onion Heads. And it was just kind of like a little... It was in the back of an old comic book shop. It was was fun. But um, even just playing the non-evil music that we were playing, that venue almost got shut down by the police because they tried to say that there were satanic activities going on and that they were probably selling drugs out of there and stuff. Yeah, it was just an uphill battle the whole way. So uh, in terms of... 
Now, you mean the locals that attended the shows is what you're asking well, about? Well, I think you just answered the question there, man. I, yeah, I'm, I'm picturing you guys at like some sort of lo- local blue-collar bar where everybody just got <laughs> off of work or something like that. It wasn't even that good. No, no, no. Uh, we, we did. Uh, there were a lot of little local bands that we would play with. That, there was one called Poets Corner, which was some friends of ours, and they would. Ninety percent of their set was like Candlebox covers. I recall. Wow. This is all oh, just yeah. wonderful memories. But uh, yeah, we would play at Onion Heads, and all these girls would pack in because they loved Poets Corner. And as soon as Slog came on which would usually be to a wall of feedback. I, I was kind of, at that time, I was kind of on the, uh, guitar playing wise, I was on the Kim Thale from Soundgarden kind of vibe. I was just going for really loud, distorted, crazy. Uh, early Soundgarden, of course I'm talking. But, um, and just, the girls would just file out immediately as soon as we started playing. <laughs> And I was, you know, I I still have our demo. It sounds okay. I recorded it on a four-track. That was kind of the beginning of my recording career as well. I I recorded recorded our demo, and that was kind of the first time I messed around with uh, guitar tones and learning how to capture drums and stuff like that. So, so yeah, Slog was a pretty pretty fun little venture, but uh, we were never appreciated. was tearing itself apart the whole time as soon as it was done i went straight into doing metal so well that's you 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 left me off at a good point there because something i want to talk to you about is you've been doing crypticus for so long uh at this has it been 25 years over or a little bit over geez i don't even know uh well officially the first cd came out 2005 so i mean Anything before that is just, I mean, it used to be under the name Anthropophagus for a while. It used to be under the name Science and Horror for a while. So I was always kind of messing around before that. But officially, Crypticus started in 2005. <clears throat> okay, well, regardless, one of the questions I had for you, uh, you talk about recording Slog, and that's your first way to get into it. And you've been recording yourself and recording uh, your projects ever since then. I want to get into the technology you were using back then and how it's changed and everything. I've talked about, and I, my own project is coming out. I'm delaying it a lot, but I, I, my Tascam four-track, you know, analog cassette fetish that I have. Um, it, was that some? Was a tell me tell me about the setup for Slog, and, and tell me a little bit about about your first ventures into recording. Well, well, this is uh, this is right in my wheelhouse, and I'm super excited to talk about all this nerdy yeah. shit. Because, um, well, with Slog, the drummer had. He had a one of those gray Tascam four tracks. Mm-hmm. That was kind of unremarkable, but uh, it was to some. When I, w- <laughs> what, I'm sorry, what's that? To, unremarkable to some, maybe. Well, no, I mean uh, just the recording of the slog demo. I mean to say was uh, was unremarkable in that uh, there were no surprises. It, yeah, it wasn't my equipment. When I got back to my house, I didn't have anything. I literally was recording uh, during those years, doing that thing where you plug directly into a tape deck uh, on the stereo and you, you, like, say, record one guitar track, then you swap it to another tape, pop in a blank tape, play along with the first tape. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Play your guitar along to the first track. I, I did so many demos on just crappy home stereo equipment for, for many, many years. And, uh, that was 
an adventure and a challenge and I'm still really proud of some of the demos I've done with that. That was when I first started doing um, death metal was uh, was by that method because, uh, and this is, I don't know, I'm not going to try to heap too much garbage on my mom, but uh, there was also kind of a, I wasn't really able to get the equipment I needed in the household with the head of the satanic panic there, you know, marching back and forth. So, uh, yeah, I kind of had to do a lot of uh, stuff sneakily in my house. Um, so, yeah, I recorded a ton of stuff just that way. Uh, with a drum, uh, I would play uh, drums on a Radio Shack keyboard with my fingers, along with guitars that I had already recorded. It sounds like absolute garbage. Dude, you got to get Will these tapes. He's glowing right now. Yeah. I need <laughs> but, uh, you would like, oh, by the way, Will, I love that BioLich. I, I, that BioLich, when I listened to that, that, I was like, okay, this is exactly the kind of stuff that I wished my stuff sounded like when I was recording on the <laughs> well, you know, it, home it it depends which recording, because there were some really perilous recordings, but we used all sorts of... Like, we had a, a bigger Tascam 8-track that was, like, broken. The the tape function <laughs> was broken, but we used it as a mixer into another Tascam 4-track. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was just, like, the most, like... It was, yeah, it was like, me, like, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, but, like, me with cassette tapes and 4-tracks <laughs> with that oh, BioLich stuff. The very first BioLich demo, the Omniversal Descent one, the one that most most tries to copy Demolich, but also most sloppily. Um, the drum setup on that was he had uh, like two or three cymbals hanging from strings from the ceiling <laughs> and a snare drum, I think, just like on the couch. And he was playing those and the kick drums were added later with a drum pad. Oh, my God. I yeah. love it. Yeah, this yeah. is exactly what I'm talking about. That is the, that's the demo that I really liked, by the way. Oh, okay, that, well, that's the Omniversal yeah. Descent demo. I remember that. And then... Yeah, and then the guitars, he had, I, I forget, I wish I could remember what kind of amp it was. It was just a little tiny practice amp mic'd up with, like, shitty mics. And I, yeah, I just had, like, a mic going straight. Yeah, it was just the, the shittiest little setup, man. All right, well, okay, so now that I understand that, now now I see the kind of uh, kind of dude I'm talking to. Okay, so here, yeah, <laughs> here's... Here's what I, I never had amps. I, my mom bought me one amp. It was really, really terrible. Had zero distortion, sounded like garbage. So I, I, I just tried every combination of pedal I could with it. It didn't work out. So eventually I just, uh, my friend Rob sold me a PV Profex processor. Like one of those rack mount ones, sixteen-bit uh, processor sounding like garbage. Yes. But and the first, but you could get in there and program the uh, the settings yourself. And uh, Sega so had sixteen bits. That's all Sonic needed. <laughs> now uh, that's so true. That's <laughs> all you need. I would. Uh, I uh, the first thing I tried to do with this thing was get the the Entomb sound on it, which was impossible. But uh, that's how I wrote. I, I just had that processor by itself, and I would record out of the headphone jack on that directly into the uh, tape deck on yeah. the stereo. Then, uh, yeah, I'd play. Like, um, sometimes I'd actually get smart enough to, to have a click track going on the side when I played. But, I mean, it was, it was so impossible to wind anything up the way I was doing it. But, yeah, it was like you're talking about. Like, sometimes I'd be like, well, shit, I, I can't play my drums with, with my fingers. So... Okay, on this pass I'll do the snare. Then on the next track I'll do the kick, and you know it just sounded terrible. But you might enjoy these demos. I, I might have to send you a zip file full of them. 
Because yeah. I mean, I did tons of them. And that's where, like, I realized, like, well, I can't sing. I can't sing. So, so that's when I, you know, just immediately started growling. Cause, and uh, once I started growling over this stuff, I, I, you know, it just gets in your blood the excitement of making your own crappy little death metal demo that you can listen to with your friends. It's so much fun. And so, uh, yeah, I just took off doing that. But, yeah, for many years, this was, again, not necessarily Crypticus. This was just me messing around. And uh, then after a while, my friend gave me a really, really crappy four-track that had... It's one of these that it has four tracks, but there's only two strips of controls, and so yeah. you have to switch back and forth between yeah. what you're that, I, that, tracking. I, I, that's the, literally what I've been using to record my project, something like that. The most basic. It doesn't have any EQ. Oh, wait. You might have the same one I do. Okay, here. Hold on a second. Is it, uh, <laughs> Probably is, yeah. is it this, baby? Yep. Yeah, it's like the only <laughs> one that's really available now, and it's, it's, it, that's even hard to get now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yep, yep, um, yep, same that's the one. four track I've recorded the most on, you know, pre pre digital era. I and, still uh, record on that. I love it. For the listeners oh. out there, he just held up a pie tin. He just held <laughs> up. Uh, it was like some paper plates taped together or something some, like yes, that. Yes, yeah. I'm sorry. I keep forgetting here. We're not on video. The, uh, it's uh, for for the listener. This is Tascam Porta Two, four track, which is. Uh, a vintage piece of gear now, but uh, very fun. But ours at the time had a uh, we we didn't have the the correct uh, power, you know, uh, transformer plug for it. So uh, we just used a random one from a distortion pedal, and it was completely the wrong voltage. So it turns out the tape was going at the wrong speed. It was every time you'd press record, it would do like make a weird electronic or like electric burning noise would come in. So all the all the demos I have that I have to recover them in like this this forensic manner to to dump them on the computer and then like change the speed to correct it to, to what it was supposed to be and do all the, uh, you know remove all these clicks and pops and shit. So yeah, I, I've been able to actually rescue some of that stuff onto digital, and it's uh, j- just to preserve it because the tapes are falling apart now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I have some old four-track tapes that are still doing okay, man. I lost a bunch in a basement flood. Well, let me ask you this: since you're still recording that way, are are you still able to get tapes and stuff? Um, yeah, the, the thrift stores. I you know mm-hmm. I I make the rounds at the thrift stores um, once or twice a month, and I'm good for finding a few. Tom, uh, that was your fiance's father who who found a, a, a little seven, nice seven rack brand new Max L for me. So they pop wow. up from time to time. I also, though, I have from the '90s and early 2000s just boxes, probably like you know two or three shoe boxes of tapes that aren't assigned any cover or anything specific. <laughs> They're just like old mixtapes and old you know dubs and whatever the fuck you know tapes from wherever years ago that I, I record over so a lot of my stuff i just used i i rec- and and to me i don't really care because if there's little ghost sounds and if it, if it melts the quality that's what i want out of my project anyway man so it's oh wow that's great yeah, yeah, I, yeah i've still got a, a big uh, box full of tapes but yeah. i've got wow boxes. that's that's I, I, yeah, I respect that i respect your uh, your adherence to this uh 
this dead format and your love for it it's more for me it's it's like i literally have some sort of tape junkyard in my like i've i've organized it to a point now where i have most of my tapes alphabetized in, in my shelving and all that sort of thing and i have a few tupperware boxes with like my projects and my friends projects but i do have like two big boxes full of tapes that are just really unassigned i don't mind taping over whatever they are they've just you know whatever they are so like i'll use those you know as i'm dubbing back because you know how it is you you record a master tape then you pop that back in to uh to mm -hmm. bounce tracks and all that sort of thing you you go through a lot of tapes as you're doing project and also i have like a collection of four track tapes going back to when i was a teenager all through my 20s and my 30s now just from random times in my life uh, some of them are at, recorded on f different four tracks, so there's different dub like speed issues mm -hmm. and stuff. But it's great because my project now that I'm about to put out, it's like it's just takes liberally from all like all of that, and then adds on to other stuff, like adds on to it with keyboards and drum machines. So it's my my genre is is tape graveyard. It's not anything, you know. It's just it's like a religious ritual, you know. I get it. I love it. I love it. So, I'm, I'm very excited to hear that. Enough about me. <laughs> got me open with this Glenn Benton coffee, Tom. Um, but 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 all right. So it sounds like you're going early, very hard with the one man band style thing. Is that maybe a reflection of how uh, you know you're coming up in the era of the Satanic Panic? I mean, I assume you, you know you, your mom's kind of down on the heavy metal and the horror movies and stuff to begin with. What did she think about you jamming with other people and other musicians? Was it like I don't want you around those people or? Uh, no, she she really liked my friends, but they uh, these were all grunge kids. It was very very difficult to find scumbags like yourselves <laughs> where, when I lived there. Like if I had known you guys when I lived there, we would have been like thick as thieves. But it was literally few and far between to even find someone that I could go, hey, you know that band Carcass? Like who? What? No. What? No. <laughs> listen to garth brooks motherfucker like it was like that so uh yeah it was <sighs> see the thing was my friends who were talented musicians were all grungy goofballs who all went on to have spectacular drug problems and eight million kids apiece uh but my cool metal friends that i found were completely talentless musically <laughs> So it was, just, it was like, okay, what am I supposed to do here? So it that's probably why. I did mess around with some, some trying to involve everyone I knew in uh, my music, and just one by one they just kind of fell off to the side because, all right, you can't keep up, or you're not interested, not don't like this kind of stuff. So it's like, all right, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. Right. Well, because, you know, I'm looking back and, you know, we, we do want to talk a little bit about Cropsy Maniac and Tombstones, but it seems like, is it safe to say that for the most part, for most of your career, you've been like a, a, a solo act or, you know, a one man band wouldn't necessarily be accurate because we know you've worked with other musicians, but you're always kind of like the, the man behind the scenes pulling the strings, right? It is, is, it, is it always that way? Yes, it has been because, well, this is my venture that I started, but again i just i've always been trying to have other members it's just like i tried to have christ butcher be in crypticus but i mean just my shit was way too simple for him i think he he didn't think it was uh blasting enough uh, you know i just uh i just kind of by attrition have ended up being 
the only guy here. But uh, it's always been my, like, it, it was never a project that was started with other people. It was always like, okay, I want to make this kind of music. I don't feel anyone's making this specific kind of death metal that has all these elements that I love in it. And uh, it's it has been tough to find anyone that understands what I'm doing or that wants to contribute to it in a, in a way like even uh, Aaron from Cropsy Maniac I said hey man write, write some Crypticus riffs with me and he sent me like 8 million riffs that sounded exactly like Cropsy Maniac <laughs> like, no bro <laughs> so we did collaborate on one song but uh, yeah so it's it's I'm open right if any of you guys want to be in Crypticus we can do it right now but it's like I just can't find anyone who uh, who's dedicated to it the way I am or, or gets it the way I do I guess it's, but I'm it's, trying it's rough everyone's got these ideas and they're trying to get them done and it's like well now it's it's a lot easier see so now since the technology has made it the way it is now that you can like I can realize any musical dream I want now it's it's not a challenge but uh, that kind of makes it less of a, a, a need for me to run around looking for someone you know because uh, I, I did have an amazing drummer and he kind of flaked off after a while so uh i i just said well you know what i why don't i just do the? i'll just do the drums this is how the drums would be if i was a drummer this is you know so uh i'd love to have a bass player jump in somebody i tried to get the bass player from uh demiurge from uh sweden roger johansson's band uh, he, he almost had that guy play on crypticus but that guy flaked off uh, so you know it just that's how it's been going. So I was like, fuck it. I'll just, I'll, fuck it. I'll do it myself. Mm, right, I'll man. do it live. Well, yeah, man. well, you know, talking about <laughs> Crypticus, um, you know, we look at the history uh, dedicated to the impure. If I got that right, that's your first album in 05, right? Mm-hmm. Is that your first time working with Razorback Records? Yeah, they, uh, Roger Johansson from Rib Spreader, had, I'd been sending him a bunch of my demos, and he said... You know what? I I don't think I can help you out, but you should try sending some of these to Razorback. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I you know I was a f- huge fan of that. You know, at that time they really had cornered kind of their own little niche of like oh, you yeah. said the Razorback sound. And I was like, I don't know if I fit into the Razorback sound, but I'll send them something. And I, yeah, I got, immediately got a really great response. And uh, they said, Well, okay, you have uh, four months now. We need an album in four months. So from, <laughs> it's like, okay. And I think the demo I sent him had like four songs on it. And, you know, the album has 12, I think. <laughs> so in four months, it was just me going nuts trying to come up with all this death metal and trying to, to mix it as good as I could, which at the time was terrible. I think the CD sounds terrible now. But, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was my first interaction with uh, them. And they were the first people that were really, really, uh, you know, excited to release it and, and uh, I remember at the time it was kind of a thing like what what they're releasing old school death metal now yeah. Razorback what, what is this like and, imagine that and they're just now, like no nah, no nah, such a roster novel, who gives a shit like in this age now where the old school death metal thing is exploded it's saturated yeah in every in all these di- <laughs> you know HM2 caveman death metal, it's, it's in every direction too man but um yeah, in the early 2000s, the idea of going back to Impetigo and early Carcass and other things like that was kind of like not. It was kind of like not in fashion at all in in most circles. And what's funny is like I remember this too because like this was so much my uh, era too, man. Like the late 90s, 
I got into it. My, you know, Adam Rotella, who's been on the show, got, you know, dead infection, regurgitate, hemorrhage, uh, clotted symmetric sexual organ. It was, you know, the whole morbid records thing. It was all there. Mm. And in the United States, we were clinging to impetigo um, was, was our big thing. And, like, and by the early 2000s, it was more about, like, you know, we were clinging to gore grind and, and death metal was more becoming about, like, different different things than what it meant to us in the beginning. And mm-hmm. Razorback Records, um, you know, Billy Nocera and Jill Girardi, who started Razorback Records, were, were both on Long Island when they started that. I, I was friendly with them back in that era. They were bringing back something that I think was very passionate for them but was a really novelty niche thing in that time. It was, you know, it only caught on with certain people. It was like this, like, we're going to do horror movies, but we're going to go back to, like, B-horror movies from the 50s and 60s, kind of, almost, you know? Like, we're not doing Texas Chainsaw Massacre like everyone else. And the sound, to be that raw in the early 2000s, everyone was embracing all the new digital recording equipment. And, like, you know, when you heard gruesome stuff relish... Or uh, Machetazo, it was like very punk rock at that point, man. Like it was a real movement in in uh, in time, that, you know, in that era. Yeah, I'm super proud that I got to be a part of that in my weird way because yeah, you, you just everything you just said there, you just took it right out of my mouth. Cause, Sorry, uh, I was so blown away. Especially, well, I'm a huge Carcass fan. They're like one of my, you know, clearly you know what era of Carcass I'm referring to. <laughs> Not necessarily we, we all, all of know. It. We but all. Um, the uh, the like when I first heard, heard Ghoul, yeah, Ghoul. The first thing I noticed was the carcass influences. You know, everybody else was kind of focused on the thrashy part. It's like no, they're, they're like it's like carcass covering, and they're doing a Megadeth cover. Like it was so quote unquote uncool for the time. Like you're saying, like I remember yeah. everything then was like the most extreme blasts. Um, you know, it was uh, like when behemoth decided they were going to become christian all of a sudden you know all bands decided they were going to become christian or morbid angel at that point or they all just started ripping off immolation in mass and yeah razorback was going in this uh, interesting kind of side direction but see my i think the greatest thing that razorback did is they brought uh hand-painted artwork for metal album covers back into fashion because that fucking photoshop garbage <laughs> that i uh, oh my god i was honored to have lee harrison of monstrosity on our program i was waiting for that one for a long time <laughs> oh boy um in dark purity oh boy that's Brilliant. one of that is a Brilliant. disservice to that album that like, i, I want to find that artist and just just throw him in jail okay because that album is such a masterpiece and that cup so horrifyingly bad. They let anybody have computers, man. They just sell them to anybody. It's, it's, there, you know I, what? And it's it not. I don't. I do not want to single out Monstrosity. There is a lot of bands. There is just this era of the late '90s into the early 2000s where, like, PlayStation video games and metal album—not even metal—a lot of genres of album covers had the same quality computer graphics. Yeah, you know. Yep, it was, I know it was exactly what you're time. talking about. That's the stuff that I. Feel that literally disrespects the music on the album when you throw something out with a cover like that. It's like, come on, guys. I, I would pay, at, at, when my tax return comes in, I will pay for Wes Benscotter to, ah. to redo that detail oh for detail. Yeah, he'd be amazing. He'd be perfect. I'm not sure I said his last name right, but you know what I'm talking about. You're death metal, you're, you're, <laughs> you're qualified. So, all right. 
Shout to Lee Harrison. I'm not trying to take cheap shots, but we all know, you know, there's certain covers we think about from that era when I say yeah. that, you know, twist, you know, twisted yeah. metal and, and, um, uh, what are, what are some of those games? Oh, know? um, crap. Uh, well, it's just like P- PS1, like particularly. Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's square, <laughs> it's square tits, guys. It's square, yeah, square tits. It's Crash just, Bandicoot. It's Lara Croft square boobs, but just only the square parts. That's your album cover, I guess. Yeah, which, by the way, rounder, I'd like to throw this square. in. Uh, before I forget it, uh, Terry from uh, Christ Butcher from uh, the Throne. We'll he edit that out. Re- you just you just slipped and said his real name. We'll edit that out. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Terry right. Clark. Christ, Christ uh, Butcher. In, anyway, he um, he had originally done some artwork. He's a great artist, uh, but you know mo- mostly uh, he he does a lot of Photoshoppy stuff, and he he did some early Crypticus demo art for me. And he did the first Crypticus logo, but he did this cover for me and it was terrible. It was mm. like this it was exactly what you're referring to. He had made this church outside with lightning and stuff. It looked really cool, but it was like uh it was very PlayStation y and uh, that's never been seen or shown anywhere. No, God bless him. Good good friend, but uh yeah, no. So uh, when I, uh, I joined uh, Razorback I was like immediately like uh yeah, let's get some good artwork going. I, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I got one more. I got to get out. <laughs> Fermento, Fermento from Spain, one of my favorite brutal death metal bands from Spain. There's a, a discography CD of a bunch of their early releases, and it's it's just it's got those like uh, Abe's Odyssey, Crash Bandicoot style demons on the on the cover. Okay, oh shit, I, yeah. I, but but Fermento's a great band again. Oh yeah. But um, all right. I don't want to trash uh, PlayStation album artwork all night. <laughs> like if, if you're in cool. doubt, just put John Lacazamo from Spawn on your album cover. <laughs> I mean, I brought this guy up a whole bunch, but uh, Alex from Desiderium intentionally did that. Well, yeah, his the, release, yeah. like uh, for 2019, uh, Shadowburn, he intentionally made it look like those colors. And that's uh, vaporwave. Net up. Yeah, very, very, very vaporwave. Oh, I think he pulled it off too, because when I looked at, it, I was just like, "When is this from?" Yeah. Like it sounds like this, but um, yeah, he pulled it off in a way that was unexpected. So shout out to him. But well, again, it's like me trying to wear clothes that are not a, like are not age appropriate at thirty eight. You know, like there's right. the younger generation can do it. With me, it's like it's like has he bought a new shirt since nineteen ninety three? Like it doesn't it doesn't look vintage on me. It just looks like I don't buy clothes. All right. Oh, I, I'm the king of dressing inappropriately for my age. I I have described my uh, my style as death metal Doctor Who, <laughs> <laughs> which is not not necessarily a good look for for you know walking around in the streets in. But you know, what, what are you do listening what you to do? in the phone book today? <laughs> Standing there, it's called a TARDIS. My my look is more like like death death metal, uh, laundry day dad, <laughs> like, like, like okay. death metal t shirts, but just like sweatpants and basketball shorts, and I, I don't care. I don't that's care. The, that sounds like a guy I want to hang out with. The, the the cuff of my sweatpants and my and my sneaker there and my New Balance sneaker. <laughs> There's about three or four inches of sock that that are visible. I just, I'm not going to okay. pull it down just for your benefit. I'm just going to. It's you know that's how it is. Okay, but but um but we're we're going off the rails here. Speaking of rails, when's the first time you did coke? No, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But um, uh, allegedly, I've yeah. never done coke. I'm I'm joking. So Razorback Records, not that type of label. But I'm glad you pointed out that they did kind of like bring back or stylize at least those painted covers because I, I always want to think back to um, 
Uh, you know, I love Ghoul, love Mache, I love a lot of their bands, but Gruesome Stuff Relish, I really loved their artwork because they had this kind of like old comic mm. book thing going. It was really cool, man. And they, and they, they kind of stylized that. I feel like that's become like almost like it's it's not, um, I'm trying to think of the nice way to say this, but it's become a little saturated. A lot of people are onto that now. Like, look at now you got, there's. Yeah, um, for sure. Well, two bands that I like, I'm not dissing them, but but they're fairly popular at the moment, VHS and Fulci. I feel like those are direct descendants from that Razorback explosion. For sure. Uh, I myself have mixed a ton of uh, VHS splits mm-hmm. and EPs and stuff, So, uh, including some where I added the drums and or bass to them and stuff. So, uh, yeah, okay. I, I, I know that dude. He, he's he's a great dude. Yeah, but yeah, he is absolutely on the Razorback. I think he he's just he needs to start the new leg of Razorback since they're not really doing anything anymore. I uh, you know what I did? I heard Serge Kill. Isn't that Steve O and Billy? Uh, Steve O was in that. It had like eight thousand different vocalists. Okay. I actually mixed that as well. <laughs> that awesome. I, that I thought was pretty cool. And I'm going back a ways. I'm just showing how because I, I fell off of the Razorback wave after you know several of the, 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 those prominent years we were talking about. I've gotten to different stuff. I really enjoyed Vacant Coffin, uh, Vacant Coffins from Finland, which came out a little oh, bit yeah. later on on Razorback. That's a really cool band because to me personally, it sounds like a little bit more of a, like a squash bowel style grindcore, and then they just bust out the classic Finnish death metal uh, doom riffs uh out of nowhere in, in like the in more of the short form brutal grindcore format yeah that if i'm not mistaken that was one of the projects from uh lasse pico from um hooded menace yes and uh yeah. used to be i think he used to be in womb bath and all that he, yeah uh, that's one of his uh i don't <laughs> this is gonna sound really stupid but i don't think i mixed that one <laughs> <laughs> Wait, speaking of which, can you run down like a few of your recent mixes and ones like you're particularly proud of? Because, oh, well, geez, I, I know uh, you're like crazy doing this stuff all the time. And yeah, well, let's see here. I actually need to bring up my Mattel. <laughs> uh, We're well, all recently, on your Mattel. I I, uh, I mixed the the most recent thing I did was, uh, well, outside of Crypticus stuff was uh, the 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 last Cropsy Maniac album. Right, which is really which, good. Yeah, I uh, I actually uh, man, I we're already kind of messing around with possibly doing a new one, but yeah, Aaron writes some of the craziest, weirdest riffs and stuff, and uh, that's super fun for me to because uh, uh, I also play bass on it, so I get to add, and he gives me carte blanche to play whatever I want, and you know, I get to play the bass on it, and then I get to mix it, which is I feel that is way more fun actually just sitting and listening to the album like actually being inside messing with it so yeah I, uh that cropsy maniac was uh, lots of fun uh but in terms of mixes i'm super proud of um well the first real album i mixed was uh decrepitaph's uh shit what is it called the first one <laughs> something church i can't <laughs> I told you I was going to forget shit. But, oh, uh, right. <clears throat> Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that, uh, I, I hope I get his name right, Wayne Sarantopoulos? Yeah, that's him, yes. Yeah, guy, he's been in uh, so many projects, man. A lot of people should be familiar with him. I, we've brought him up on the show before. I still have to reach out, man. He'd be a great guy to talk to. Um, but you, you've been involved with him in a, a few different projects, right? 
Yeah, like I said, he was the first dude that kind of gave me a shot and said, you know, mix my album. And uh, I still think that album stands up pretty good. It sounds really nasty in an old school way, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was mixing it on really crappy equipment, didn't have any good monitors or anything. And I still listen back to that one, and I think it sounds bad in a cool way that is perfect for the album. Right. So, uh, you know, I like, you, like you're saying, I, I can appreciate some really good raw production it's just got to be right for, for the material you know and, and uh that one i think sounds great and uh the f uh i mixed a rib spreader album the van murders and that one sounds surprisingly okay because that one i had to do like i mean it was like from the ground up i had to like choose i had to like replace the drums i had to do all this shit you know i set the guitar tone on it and everything so um and that's actually how i met my drummer was through uh mixing that album he, he played drums on that Brynjar from uh, Norway but uh shit I have literally mixed so much shit that I forget here and there so oh, it'd be well, better if you just asked me specific questions all right sorry for my vagueness <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm Captain Vague over here it's my fault well let's talk about that because how does that happen is it just because you're known for producing your own work and somebody else says hey man I need someone to mix my own project like how do you get involved in that um, you know, and have you always worked out of a home studio, or have you done this professionally out of a, out of a professional studio? No, I've always been a home guy, a basement guy. It's always been, as I call it, the filth chamber. Everything I do uh, is in the filth chamber. Yeah. But uh, I was kind of one of the early guys. I feel that was in that spot in between the pros and the the know nothings, and I always thought that i've been like uh, i know dave otero who's one of the biggest metal producers in america he's here in denver and uh, we were friends early on when i moved here and i've been to his studio and toured it and saw how he does stuff and i mean the shit he does he's got you know these guys with the huge mixing table and all this like that's not that's not my bag i'm more kind of in your corner will in terms of recording but uh in terms of mixing i've always been really inspired by dan swano who also kind of bridged between he's always been his own professional he he never worked in a real studio as far as i know quote unquote real studio but uh through reading interviews with dan swano i learned so much early on and uh i did you know i've done a lot of recording of like you know going to a place to record a band at their place and stuff like that um but it all started really because billy from razorback Man, I don't even know how how the conversation came up, but he offered me, he had gotten the rights to the Impetigo stuff, and he said, uh, "Would you could you remaster these for me? Which uh, now in hindsight is ridiculous because I listened to them now. I'm like, no, they're fine. They don't need to be remastered. <laughs> but he, uh, I did that, and that actually got me uh, to be friends with Steve-O from Impetigo, and we've been close since. Um, and from there, I think because I did that, Wayne from Decrepitaph said, Hey, you know, you want to do my album? And then that got me the next thing. And that got me the next thing and the next thing. And, uh, I think the, the biggest thing I did probably is that, uh, I, uh, the, uh, the rib spreader I mentioned and I mastered, uh, 
Acid Witch's first album. And for some reason, that is the thing that ever, like, if I say, oh, you know, Acid Witch, yeah, yeah, I, I mastered it. Like, oh, oh, my God. <laughs> like, people act like that. <laughs> I think of everything I've ever done, that's going to be the most famous thing I've ever had my fingers on, that is that I touched Acid Witch. Best mastering on a death metal album uh, that year, right? What's that? That won the Grammy for, for best mastering oh, sure. on a death metal album that year. Yeah, but I didn't win anything. It all went to uh, to Slasher Dave. Yeah, I, I, I got no Grammys myself. <laughs> so I'm working on an EGOT. Well, so take us into that now, man, because mastering, maybe you could clear this up for us, because you're an underground death metal guy. Mastering is like that extra step where like, like at least two of the guys, I'm, I'm in Suffolk County, Long Island, two of the guys in your band... Are always like I, I don't know. I've never heard about mastering. I think this guy's trying to juice us for extra money, man. What the fuck is that mastering? Like, like you know what I mean? Like, like some people, some there's anti-master. Like pe people don't believe in mastering. They don't think it's something that really happens. They think it's a big. They think it's like a Ponzi scheme. Like, explain to us why somebody would get their album mastered uh, in addition to getting the, getting it mixed. Okay, well, here's the thing. I, I don't necessarily master the way everyone else does, but when I master your shit, I only do it to where it makes a difference. I There is no voodoo or fucking around or anything. The main thing is, is a lot of bands don't know what they're doing or a lot of mixers don't know what they're doing, and you'll have an album with one song that's this loud, one song that's this loud, one song that the guitar sound like this, one song the guitar, you know, uh, you know, some some albums it's okay if the guitars sound different from song to song, but on you know if you're listening to Master of Puppets, you don't want the rhythm guitars to change between songs. So uh, what a mastering engineer does is go through and kind of make all the songs as uniform as possible, and then at the same time. Uh, removing a lot of things, like removing a lot of frequencies that could cause things to be too bassy or too hummy or too sharp. Like, oh, they, this sounds super sharp when it's loud. Sounds good at a low volume. Turn it up loud. Sounds super sharp. Let me uh, adjust that EQ a little bit. It's it's mostly subtle compression, leveling, and EQing of the entire material across the album to give it a uniform, professional thing and uh, or, or style. To and um, you can, like, for example, this is, I don't even know if I should be talking about this, but um, I, I'm friends with uh, Trevor from uh, Black Dahlia Murder on Twitter, and we will sometimes share with each other. I, I will remaster old albums, and just we have this kind of secret group on Twitter where I will share that so that I don't get in trouble for doing it. But, like, I... Uh, I'll take like an old suffocation album, actually go through and remaster it and say, okay, I think it should sound like this. And what, why, why you got to go suffocation, bro? Well, because why, why those guys have notoriously bad production. Right Come off, on. allegedly, right off the bat. <laughs> like, like, just name some other band you did this with, please. <laughs> please. Please, sir. Please, sir. All right, well, well damn, see, because I really love suffocation. I just, but see, one of the ones I, the last one I did was the, the last suffocation album of the dark lights i'm not talking even the early shit i remastered the new one because i thought it didn't sound like it was mastered at all and my version sounds heavy as fuck it's, it We're sounds a little bit more like um pierce for men I want to hear this. Can I get in on this group chat? Well, you, you certainly can now that we're pals here. But oh, um, yeah, yeah I, I've done. I would just uh, like to. I would like Terrence Ops to know I pay for all of my <laughs> uh, official suffocation merchandise. <laughs> 
Oh, I, I, I have paid as well. I, I've paid I, as well. I'm, no, no. I'm joke. I'm, I'm busting balls here. I think that's that's actually really interesting, man. I, I gotta um, I gotta hit Trevor up for the link. Me and me and Trevor. No, no, I'll, I'll seriously. Uh, if, if you guys are on Twitter, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll just I'm, loop you in. I'm, we'll be, I'm, the- I'm best friends with every famous metal person. I'm just kidding. Tre- I'm, I'm acquainted <laughs> with Trevor, and he's a polite man. I'm not his best friend. That's, that's I'm not his best friend either. We're just acquaintances, he's but he's a, nice he's a very man. nice guy. All right, I'm, all right. I'm sorry, man. We'll link up on the heavy hole Twitter because I, I don't really use mine. Will. You don't know what Twitter is. Let's be honest. I, um, I don't know what mastering. I still don't know what mastering is. I just like Pat, so I don't want to call him out. On I got it. like from what I gathered, it's kind of like if you do multiple coats of paint and like you sand the coats in between, so it's a smoother finish at the end. Right. Where, sure. Like, you don't have to do that. Like he'll still what, be the color. It what, is. what are we? What are we making is jewelry now? Yeah. Is that what? That's no, kind but of, see, that's another thing like is sometimes. You will have an album that the way it was mixed, it is super low, and you just yes. need to level up the volume on it to make it, you know, the same volume. There are actually standards for this stuff. Like this is the standard volume for what music should be on the radio. This standard volume, what music should be on TV and stuff like that. Sometimes you will get something that just like we did at the beginning of this show. You had me. You mastered all our volumes of our, our vocals together for this podcast. So that's what you. Did. I, no, that's why I'm not. Home. I'm not actually tuning in at all. Cause <laughs> that's what Tom. Me and Patrick know all this, and I, I'm just well, listening, nodding. I. This is for the <laughs> listeners. I'm being a little facetious. I, I get. I get why people have their albums mastered, um, but it did. I will admit, I was in bands and recorded uh, music, or you know, or, or that had recorded music for many years before I really understood what mastering was. Um, and I still understand it on a basic level. But thank you for talking about it because I feel like it's something that. Um, you know, those of us who aren't behind the, the knobs uh, maybe need a, a little explanation on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, again, being facetious, uh, Trevor and I did not ride a, a bicycle built for two to St. Vitus uh, Bar in, in Brooklyn <laughs> to go to shows. Okay. But, but, yeah, he's a very nice person. We're acquainted. Um, but, but now talking about this with, with the mastering, because you've worked with a lot of bands. You've kind of become the go-to guy. For certain factions of the gore grind and death metal scene, um, do you find that you end up hearing a lot of stuff like before it's officially released, and you're like, like, do you get this feeling a lot, like, oh shit, man, I wish I could play this for people. the the new The new Oval is gonna be sick, or you know, whatever it is. You just named one of them, yeah. When I when I <laughs> did that Oval album, I was like, damn, this is fucking amazing. These Hell guys yeah. are great. Like, uh, one that I did that I really am proud of. And this is hilarious. Okay, I was mixing a split for VHS, and then at the same time, I got hit up by uh, Oregon Trail. And they said, hey, we're doing a split. Can you mix two songs for us? I was like, oh, yeah, sure. And they, they, I'd never done anything for them before. I, I just met them through that. And then I, when I finished all of it, I sent it off, and then it turned out it was the same split. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I had done both sides of the split, and I, I did not know that until it was released. Uh, but the Oregon Trail side of that, uh, I can't remember what the split's called, but uh, that is some of the heaviest shit I've ever mixed and something I'm super proud of. Like when I listened to it, I went, God damn, these guys are heavy. And this came out amazing because they also kind of gave me carte blanche on it. And uh, that always works out better than when a band goes, hey, make us sound like this, make the drums sound like this, blah, 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 blah. That always comes out crappy. That's how you get those early suffocation mixes. But then uh, when hey, you hey, have... Hey. <laughs> 
But then when you have uh, somebody that just goes, okay, listen, we want it to be kind of like this, but, you know, get us there. Do it your way. It's going to come out amazing, you know, and then you'll, you'll come out with artwork that way. But, um, yeah, that, I, I highly recommend you check out that Oregon Trail. Those songs are really crushing and really great, and I'm still really proud of how that sounds. Okay, so that, that's, that's a nice little story you tell there. That's a sweet little tale. <laughs> I want to know, and you've done enough now that, 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 you know, if you don't get into names, I feel like, you know, maybe you could tell us, have you ever gotten something and you're like, whoa, I could make it sound, you know, as sonically equalized as possible, but this is a hot mess of garbage here. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, I'm not going to see, I, I'm not, I'm not necessarily call out but i am one to name names here and there no but, no, no. Uh, because i'm not you know this is this is not in a I, I i'm not i guess i'm not saying anything that the people i'm talking about wouldn't would disagree with but, but like wayne from Ser- wayne serentopolis from a decrepitaf he would frequently send me stuff where i would send him an email back like what is this this is what are you doing here like the bass is not playing the same notes at all, or even in tune. He's like, oh, just turn it down. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not what you do. Okay, why even record that? Good. I just told him that we turn it down in the mix. Like this. Some. So yeah. And, uh, we just lost you there. I, we just lost you there for a second. Can you take us back like ten seconds right after we laughed about the bass thing? Uh. uh okay. Well, Wayne told me. Uh, that guy, he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't know how to play the notes. He doesn't. Uh, he's new to the band, so just turn him down in the mix. Right, right. It's like, no, I'm not gonna do that. This isn't fucking man justice for all. Like, no. And uh, so yeah, I've gotten some of that. Uh, there, but see, more in other directions. See, now bands are kind of better at recording themselves. So I never have a beef with a band that recorded themselves well, but the music is shitty. I'm like, yeah, whatever. That's what they wanted to do. Uh, I'll make it sound however they want. But uh, yeah, it's it was a little more tricky a few years ago, like maybe a decade ago, where uh, bands were you couldn't reamp things as much then. I don't know if Will knows oh, what reamping man. is. Does Will know? What that is? I know what reamping is. I'm, I, <laughs> dude, I recorded three albums with Artificial Brain. I know what reamping. Oh yeah, is. no shit, no shit. Yeah, those guys are incredible, by the way. I, it's, all I did was fucking come in and growl some Spaceman shit. I don't play seven-string guitar. Hey, it still counts. still counts. Did you just but, say uh, seven-string guitar hero? No. I, <laughs> I'm into it. But it, it yeah, works. It works. It but works yeah, really well. I, 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 you put one string on a guitar, I'm, I might come up with something. But <laughs> Now you talk, that's, now, that's my shit right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, one string. There was a reggae uh, performer that did that, um, to, his, to his credit. But uh, 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 so, so getting back, though... Um, now, have you ever had your services called upon by people who are not from the metal scene, but like, like a guy at your job or your 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 cousin's girlfriend wants you to mix her her uh, her, her Hawaiian uh, you know luau album or something out of some some weird off thing like odd jobs? Well, yeah, that's actually how I got my first opportunity to do some purely synth stuff was. Uh, my boss at the time he was filming this would have been about 10 years ago he was filming a short film for the 48 hour film festival and uh, he was going to shoot it 
where we work at and use all of us as actors in this little horror movie he was doing. And uh, he said, can you whip up a score for... If I was in his movie as as the bad guy, and then he said, "Can you also whip up the score for it?" And, you know, we got forty eight hours to do this. It's like, oh shit, yeah, okay. So I, I did like a real kind of John Carpentery meets Goblin kind of score and uh, put it on a short film. You can actually see that on Bandcamp. It's called uh, "For the Team." Was the name of the uh, the yeah. short film? For the and, team. Uh, it's uh, at the very bottom of my Bandcamp page. So the Crypticus uh, Bandcamp. It's uh, and it's uh, I'm still really proud of that actually because it came out really good and it sounds very, very much like a, a 1980s, early 80s, late 70s horror film score, and it was super short. The whole movie was like 10 minutes long or something. So uh, yeah, that was really fun. And when I did that, I just got the bug for it. So then I ended up putting out an entire album of uh, just weird synthy horror film music. But I think yeah. that's the only thing I've yeah. done for anyone that I personally know. Yeah, and and that's uh, that's awesome. Talking about the the horror score, like synth music, reminiscent, like you were saying, John Carpenter, uh, Goblin. Um, I'm a big fan not only of Goblin but of Zombie. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. you like those guys? Yeah, they they, oh, they, yeah. they take that genre kind of and expand on it a lot. They're a little more uh, on the prog tip, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. To me, they're not as they're not horror obsessed enough. So the 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 group in that style that I worship is uh, the Giallo's uh, the Giallo's Flame. Not as familiar. Okay. From the UK, uh, that dude makes music that he is literally better than Goblin. <laughs> like he makes right. it. He makes uh, like he can do every style. He can do like a 1970s. Uh, crime flick style and then he'll do like you know the argento style and then he can do like a Ennio morricone style and stuff so yeah i highly recommend the giallo's flame gotta check that out man yeah yeah, yeah zombie i that's how, that's what i kind of mean about them is that not so much horror it's like it's almost the way a lot of death metal bands now aren't really like they're they're talking about space or like mm-hmm. microscopic plants or something like that. you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. like it's like they're yeah. they're taking the uh sonic effect of death metal and applying it to different aesthetics man um but but, uh, but yeah that i, I always liked uh, uh those kind of like old school horror movie soundtracks what about uh, something I bring up a lot when horror movies come up is the Italian um, Demoni or Demons and, mm-hmm. and the sequel, which I, I love equally. Are you familiar with those? Oh, yeah. No, no. I'm hugely into European horror and Italian horror. Like I, I'm, that, that shit came up, like I came up with that at the exact same time I was coming up with metal. So, I mean, me personally, I had it easy. I had an uncle who was a horror movie nut, and he was getting into Laserdisc right around the time I was oh. getting into horror movies. So he would dump a lot of his old VHS on me and oh, allegedly bro. bootlegged Laserdiscs onto VHS for me. And that's where I saw Demons and you know oh. all the Lucio Fulci movies, blah, 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 blah. I could go on. Um, but you're talking about, I mean, you were telling me before about living in, in more conservative parts in, in the South and stuff like that. Like, how were you able to access some of those more cult horror movies? Oh, man, you're bringing back so many warm memories for me. Yes. Uh, well, there was this grocery store called Smitty's where there was wow. one cool guy that That's worked my dad's there. dad's nickname, named Smitty, I'm sorry. <laughs> Smitty's video department. You know, it was one of those grocery store video departments. And uh, there was one cool guy that worked there named Darren, 
who uh, he ordered all sorts of crazy shit to the point where he would have bootleg VHSs, pr like probably like your uncle made, you know, sh dumped off of laser discs on the shelves. And I was like, what? What is going on here? Hell yeah! Anyway, I was reading Fangoria, Gorezone, and all this shit, and I'd go there. It's like, oh my god, this is that movie, Zombie. And so I saw Zombie the first time with it was you know the widescreen, but it wasn't pan and scan. It was just cut right down the middle, so you're seeing half of people's faces, half of the gore. You know, it's it was just horrible, horrible quality. So yeah, I uh, that was where I started was uh, at Smitty's, but you know, soon enough there was stuff. He couldn't carry, you know, like a lot of Fulci stuff at uh, at Smitty's, and uh, so I I got this catalog that I ordered from the back of Gore Zone, I think, and it was some video bootleg catalog dude. I can't remember. He was like out of Florida or something, and uh, I ordered a bunch of bootlegs from that guy over the years, and it was expensive as fuck. It's like each VHS was like forty bucks, but it would be like Japanese laser discs of the yeah. Beyond. Or, um, you know, uh, early Giallo movies, Argento stuff, uh, just red. anything, you know, the nasty stuff, some of the Japanese, uh, you know, like guinea pig movies and stuff like that. Uh, I, I'd order a bunch of that through VH, and you'd Ooh. send the money off in just like six months, six months yeah. before anything shows up. It's like, oh, that money's gone. And then all of a sudden, a big box shows up full of uh, bootlegs. That was the most exciting thing ever. That's that guy the FBI's been warning you about. Yeah, the, <laughs> totally, <right>. totally. <laughs> those those self-addressed stamped envelope ads in the back of yeah. Gorezone. And by the way, Fangoria was hot, but if you read Gorezone, you were real back in the day. Shit, I even read Toxic Horror. No yeah, one even remembers yeah. Toxic yeah. Horror. But, but, but hey, I might have been ordering those from your uncle. You know, for all well, I know. Well, he actually um, ran something weird video. Oh, you're kidding me! Yeah. Well, you wow. would, You probably you would probably be familiar with Frank Henenlotter. He directed. Oh yeah. Case That's your Frank uncle. And Hooker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, not, you're kidding me! I, yeah. Well, bro. Just for the listeners, so people don't call me out. He's not a biological relative. He's but he's him and several generations of his family and several generations of my family are all family friends. Yeah, like brain and, damage. That dude. Yeah. Yeah. I was. Why I did was, you tell me this before? Well, <laughs> yeah. No I've, shit. I've, I've <laughs> talked about this on the show. No, but not like that. Uh, I've listened to these shows twice. <laughs> I, I've talked about this on the show, dude. Will so, is the first I'm hearing about it. It's crazy. What are you doing? You're, you're like five beers in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've I've gotten in front of this before, dude. All I've, right. Well, we'll, we'll talk well. or something later. But we'll um, the show. Yeah. Actually, the the two cops at the end of Brain Damage are real cops. Yeah. I'm not going to. I won't get into it. But but um, but uh, but, wow. but regardless, uh. But yeah, that's who was sending me the videos, and and he was doing something weird video, which was re-releasing a lot of like the most obscure B horror movie, and they were they were actually like getting into like compilations of like old driver safety gore videos that they would play for kids in high school in the sixties and shit, like anything like, like dental school videos, like weird <laughs> shit, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm familiar. I'm familiar. Yeah. I uh, I uh, watched a shitload of something weird. Uh, Something weird, real wild cinema hosted by Sandra Bernhardt. Yeah, I think it was like on USA Network. It was great. Yeah, they were just, I remember uh, it was that. like a clip show for something weird releases in it. Yeah, it, my, I watched my it uncle, religiously. He, I talked to him just a few months ago. He's always up to something, man, and he still is, man. He he he's my biggest inspiration. Just but like I try to apply it to death metal and underground music, man. Just like the way he never stopped his whole life and never. He just lived his whole life for the, his passion for like, for crazy fucking movies. 
But um, I just watched his recent movie, Bad Biology, not that long ago, and it's it is crazy. He's still going. I hope you've recovered from the experience. <laughs> that that's a, that's that's a pretty wild one. Um, uh, but but yeah, man. Um, you know that, that, that we were talking about those ads, and also like in you know this is I, I'm sorry, but this is why life was cooler before the internet. <laughs> Um, the, the like the back of Hell's Head Bang, uh, the not Hell's Head, um, Metal, Metal, Metal Maniacs? Maniacs magazine, right? Metal Maniacs, that that was it, and they they had like the literally like the tape trader page, and you, you could order from like little distros, and you, it was always send a self addressed stamped envelope, and they'd send you a list back of like bootleg shit or whatever it was, man. I know what you're talking about, man, and you could get some crazy. It was like the Wild West, bootlegs mm-hmm. and everything, man. It was it was crazy. Yeah, sadly, I never got to take part in the tape trading scene in that way. I just, uh, I was strictly a horror movie orderer. I, I wasn't even really aware of the tape trading scene except amongst my friends in Arkansas. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of cooler, though, man, the horror movies and stuff. Because, like I said, you find weird shit, man, on those lists, man, that you probably can't find nowadays. And there was always those, uh, I mean, if you want to talk about something crazy, those legends um, that still, well, the internet. The internet. There's another thing where the internet just kind of saturated, and now it's like normal. Like normal teenagers nowadays watch like snuff videos and shit. Like from, yeah, yeah, from Al Qaeda and shit. That's like normal shit for people to watch, unfortunately. Yep. But like in the 80s and 90s, it was like these legends of like snuff videos that you could get. Yeah, Charlie and- Sheen got in trouble. Well, he didn't get in trouble. Charlie Sheen got the guinea pig guys in trouble because he saw a guinea pig bootleg movie at a party and he thought it was a real snuff movie and he reported them to the FBI and shit. Wow. (laughs) They they had to do a making of to show that, no, 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 this girl's alive. We're just really good at effects and and sadistic in our imaginations. Yeah, guinea pig. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's still hard to watch (laughs) those first couple of... I don't know if I ever made it through a whole viewing. Um... Wow, man. So, so now, you know, you talked about your your boss that time made the movie. You composed the score that gave you the taste a little bit to compose some music. Has your have you ever ventured further into the the production or creative end of horror movies besides that? Well, I'm dying to. I just haven't had the opportunity yet. I uh, the closest inroads I've gotten was uh, this. Uh, this movie pool party massacre which is like a fun kind of cheesy slasher movie they uh they were using some uh, axe slashers music in it and then uh, they wanted to use one of my songs as well and it was just but God, it was the in the most boring way possible they had this guy who's mowing someone's lawn listening to crypticus in his headphones i think <laughs> while he's mowing the lawn you just hear it tinny like barely and like okay well so they used a crypticus song in that and so i tried kept trying to parlay that into like you know i can do this too you know i'm just have to use my song i could do a whole horror movie score that would really elevate your movie and i submitted i took a couple of because i had like a work print of the movie and i took a couple of clips from it and feels and i i added like i did some little temp scores for them and it came out really good, I thought. And I sent it to the guy, and he's like, yeah, yeah, that's great. We got someone else. And then I watched the movie, and he's like, oh, this guy sucks. Like, I could have done better than that. <laughs> so uh, that's the closest I've gotten so far. I'm sure this talk will get me more you know, well, <laughs> more hey, opportunities. Adam but yeah, I, I would love to do it. I, I that That's one of my dreams is just to have carte blanche to do whatever I want 
on a horror movie score wise and just which I, I don't necessarily think I'd get. I think if I did get a job, they'd be like, no, make it like this, make it like this, make it sound like this, and with this, these instruments. But um, Notes. if I'd, I was just given uh, you know, clear ground to do it, I think I would crush it. Well, they're bound to fly Adam Rotella uh, out to uh, Hollywood eventually, man. Hopefully he'll take you with him. Um, making his that, That's, by the way, I don't know if you're familiar with my boy, my boy Adam Rotella, who got me into all this death metal back in the day. He did uh, Anal Birth. The Cold Gore Noise project, and he now he's into like uh, making B Gore movies. Um, oh wait, I uh, I listened to his podcast with you, and I think I yeah. did actually go and check out some of his stuff on YouTube. I think it's uh, pretty hard to watch. <laughs> uh, it's pretty pretty disturbing gore. Uh, what Adam does, but uh, guinea pig he's, style. Yeah, he's a good guy, man. Um, friend friend of the show, old friend of mine, man. So. Now, um, well, let's 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 keep. I like this horror movie discussion, man. I like that we're talking horror movies. I feel like we don't do it on the show enough. Do you still keep up with modern horror, or are you like like me, admittedly, someone who's a little stuck in nostalgia? No, I I'm I keep up with everything. I'm. It's like to me, my thing is horror, and death metal is just part of horror. That's how I see it. Like wow, to okay. me, it's like my life is horror. That's all I focus. Right now, as we're recording this, I'm watching old episodes of Dark Shadows here on the side. <laughs> so yeah, I go I go way back, and then uh, yeah, I keep up with everything. Like uh, I really liked Hereditary. I thought that was yeah, very that was interesting. a good one. That's one of the most recent ones I've seen. Okay. Do you? But, uh, yeah. Do you have Shudder? Yes, yes. Okay. I've been uh, big on Shudder recently. Yeah, love it. Yeah, love it. It's been good. Good to me. Good good to my dreams. I canceled my Netflix and just went straight Shudder. I haven't actually. I should do that because I haven't opened Netflix in like three months. And See, yeah, they don't have money. enough horror movies. They don't have any <laughs> horror movies, actually. I mean, like, they're... They're, I mean, that's a different conversation because they're really flushing themselves down the fucking toilet. Totally, they, totally. They keep doing these originals that, that people are becoming more and more lukewarm on and getting... Like they're just getting rid of shit that people watch. It keeps it glued to them, it glued to the yeah. fucking TV. Like leave friends on there, get the licensing. <laughs> you know, like that's Dude. that's the business model. Go yeah. simple. The business model for me is go to the thrift store, buy a VCR, <laughs> throw buy, your TV preferably out, preferably a VCR DVD combo <laughs> player. And then a proud buy, luddite. Yeah, dude, I, I, well let me let me hit you with a kind of obscure one. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't. Uh, I recently watched it. This is what I want to ask, and I, I found it really good. Um, it's it's like a two part made for TV film from from Denmark, I believe, Danish TV, The Kingdom, uh, about the haunted hospital. Oh, that's uh, that's an entire season of a show. There's like several seasons of that. I think maybe yeah, you well, might have seen some kind of an edit. A, I have it in a double VHS. I guess maybe maybe it's like kind of co- you know compartmentalized for, mm-hmm. for for the VHS release. But are, you're familiar with that. Oh yeah, yeah. Have you seen season two? Well, the seat I've seen. I have two VHS. It's like I said, I have two VHS copies. That's kind of edited into like these two mini movies. They pull the Salem's like, Lot, like where they put it all together. Like I don't know that scenes are missing, but it's not. It's I. I don't get it in the format of several episodes. The ending of it. Not. I don't want to spoil it for the fans, but the ending of it ends when the baby is born. That's what I was going to bring up. I wanted to know if you'd seen the baby part. <laughs> yeah, the that baby's is, amazing. That was the yeah. I felt like the whole thing was a crazy build up to that, like orgasm of insanity. <laughs> life is beautiful. Certain yes, uh, they tried to remake that in America with Stephen King at the head of it. 
and uh, just was not. Yeah, and they did not. It was not as crazy or as weird. It did not work out at all. I think they just called it Kingdom Hospital or something. I read like that. that they did that. I'm not interested to see it. I mean, how could you it's no that? good. And the original, I thought it was so great, man. Those um, the two uh, the two workers, um, uh, the two disabled kids that work in the kitchen, and they. I, well, I don't want to spoil anything for for the listeners, but just such a really creepy, well written show. Great characters, man. Worth worth a watch if you can find it somewhere. Yeah, it's. I think that I don't think that's that hard to find, but yeah. these days. But uh, yeah, that that is a yeah very odd, like almost David Lynch kind of vibe to it. Yeah, man. Um, well, what else? What are like? I always talk about demons because it has such a special place in my heart, man. Maybe give us like your top three, uh, like God like damn. like soul food feel good horror movies that you just can always go back to. Well, the first one that comes to mind is Fright Night. Because yeah, to me, that one combines so much shit that I love. Because I also love horror hosts like, you know, Zachary and Elvira. And, you know. hmm. uh, um, and the fact that they had, they incorporated vampire, modern 80s vampires that were also disgusting and monstrous and, and vile. And then combine it with a horror host attacking them in a rear window scenario. That one... Since I was a kid, I, I loved that movie. That just nailed just everything I loved about horror. So uh, I go back to that one a lot. Let me see what that one's a. I, it is like truly a ten. Like it's see a lot of people disagree though. They think it's too cheesy or too this or too that. That's exactly you know the '80s music in it. I love so much. But they nail, they nail like the the um, the comedy aspect and the mm. disturbing aspect. It's super well balanced. Now if you don't like that comedy in your horror then you know then it's not for you like you shouldn't be I, yeah. reading this you know yeah because like evil ed is he is hilarious but he is also pretty fucking terrifying yeah yeah the laugh yeah. it's very much in line with that genre of 80s horror you know it's 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 perfect for that man you know well yeah you know a lot of people worship the lost boys i'm i'm full-on Fright Night. Yeah, it's um, a much better movie. I'm, I'm a fan of both. I do feel that the adoration uh, and the appreciation is a little uneven. The, the, you know, <laughs> obviously, Lost Boys has become like this, and and you know, I'm not going to say that it doesn't deserve any of the credit it gets, but I would like to see Fright Night elevated. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. Well, Fright Night's a horror movie. Lost Boys isn't really a horror movie. That's oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I feel I feel like you just brought uh, up suffocation again. <laughs> No, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying that to the the audience who believes that the Lost Boys is a horror movie. I don't think it is. I think uh, it's it's kind of more of a. That's the comedy. Friday Night actually has serious scary parts in it. Um, see, in terms of comfort, though, like what do I go back for comfort? I find myself. I rewatch Argento's Inferno a lot, even though I have a lot of problems with it. For some reason, I come back to that movie a lot. Yeah. I. I uh, I there's some I also don't really enjoy, like the score. That's the one he did without Goblin. Um, had uh, Keith Emerson did the score to that one. And that it feels a little weird. It's like a kind of a different style of music in that one. The uh, that the set of, in that movie is amazing. Like yes, the, the that's whole, I'm. Yeah, I Sorry. think that's what it is. I'm kind of obsessed with that old building that it takes place in and all the different nooks and crannies and shit and that like the part where the girl's in the library and she stumbles into the basement and all of a sudden she's in a medieval dungeon and there's some big creepy guy in there boiling fat and doing all sorts of alchemical shit and it's just out of nowhere uh 
it's very artsy and long and boring, and I, I rewatch that a lot, like way more than any Argento movie that I like more than Inferno. So that's that's kind of weird. Um, and well, I actually got to say, I rewatch Hereditary a lot. If we're gonna go with a modern one, that film, I'm obsessed with the weird darkness of that movie and how depressing it is, <laughs> how bleak it is. You, you must hate and, sleeping. <laughs> It's. I love creepy shit. I love creepy shit. Like I, I work a job where I, I work at night and I, I work in a very creepy place. I can't necessarily say where it's at because I've had some issues in the past with people trying to visit me. But uh, I work around a uh, a huge historical haunted house and in an area that is generally uh, ghost hunters like to visit and stuff. So I love creepy shit. All right. Uh, have you, would you be willing to talk about it respectfully? Have you ever had, uh, what you describe as a supernatural encounter? Hmm. Not in the way, and this is, I'm not trying to, to be a dick here, but I hate ghost hunters and I think they're complete fucking idiots because I work in one of the creepiest places in the world. Well, I, again, I hate, I hate it. demo collectors, but I love demos. Uh, so I, I, I guess we're it. saying the uh, same thing. Yeah. I guess we're saying the same thing. Yeah. But uh, because, well, what I what I'm building up to here is that I feel that none of what those people are describing is what a ghost actually is. Uh. Now, I've experienced something that I think is a ghost, and it wasn't anything like that. It wasn't some woman dressed in 1920s clothes riding a, a you know bicycle with a big wheel on it or something. Hemi farthing. If you're here, blow this <laughs> candle out, please. <laughs> That, that that was that, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I've experienced creepy things, but they were very like personal and hard to describe necessarily. Um, if you're asking, yes, I will say yes. How's that? If you want any more details, I'll answer your questions. I'll say yes. Okay. Well, yeah, I would love for you to elaborate on that if there's some way you could. Well, see, this doesn't even necessarily mean anything, but this is the most bizarre thing that ever happened to me. I, for a period, I was uh, working at a library at night, and all night I would just read occult books and study occult stuff at the library, and I lived very close to the library, and I could just walk home. My apartment was right there, and I'd sleep all day, and I'd block out my windows and sleep all day, and I was doing this for a long time, and I was really, really getting into the occult, and I was really getting into uh, meditation and uh, trying you know, just trying to have like a sidereal out-of-body experience and all these things. And uh, I would, before sleep, I would I would try to go into this, this very meditative state and try to manifest all this stuff. And uh, I had this, this red fuzzy blanket that I slept with at the time. And it was just a one-bedroom apartment I lived in by myself. It was just basically a living room, a bathroom, and a bedroom. Bedroom door was closed. I was in there by myself sleeping. Um... While I was asleep, I kind of woke up all of a sudden like, oh shit, what, what just happened? And I, I couldn't remember what my dream was or anything, and I just felt like something, what, what just happened? What? And I said, oh, where, where's my blanket? And I was reaching around in the dark for the blanket, and I couldn't find the blanket. Like, what the fuck? Oh, I knocked it off the bed. So reach around in the floor, nothing on the floor. So then I get up. What the fuck? I'll go to the bathroom. I open the door to my room. And my blanket is hung on the outside knob of my door and stretched completely across the floor like a cape. 
to where when I pulled the door in, it pulled pulled it in like a you know like a wedding <laughs> you know gown thing, uh, trailing behind it. And I was like, okay, how did I do that? Did I do that? I I, it, I was asleep. I put got out, put my own blanket on the outside of the doorknob, then gingerly closed the door so it was still stuck on there and then went back to bed i have no idea what the fuck happened i don't know how that happened i don't know what that means <laughs> that was the only thing i noticed but i could not stop thinking about that for days and now for years and have no idea what that is or what that means in any way so please you guys have to give me your interpretation <laughs> of why would a ghost want to take a blanket off of me and put it on the outside of my door and then gingerly close the door and what does that mean? Uh, Cold ghost. That is know. really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was a show about it on TV. Uh, this guy Chris Angel had a show. Oh no! Um, it's called <laughs> the Mind, Mind Freak. Mind Freak. Mind, Mind, he did it. Mind yeah. Freaking. He was mind freaking out everything. And I think there was one episode, maybe like early in season one, or maybe it was the demo where he had a blanket. Uh, the, demo. the demo. I'm just glad. I'm just glad he didn't bring up Godsmack. Uh, I'm, I'm just <laughs> no, I don't have to because I do know in my heart that I'm not the one who's so far away. But your blanket that's was not, so far. It's away. not a great yeah. ghost story, but that's that's it the only to, it true one me. I have. It, it, it is to me because it sounds more realistic. When you when you started out the library, when you said the library, I thought of the Ghostbusters in, in, intro, intro scene. All right. See, that's why I'm saying ghost hunters are full of shit because yeah. I've worked at creepy places like a library at night by myself. There's nothing there. It's great. It's perfect. It's Hell, I, I got uh, two friends who used to edit. Uh, what, what was it called? What was that show on uh, Ghost Hunters? Ghost Hunters, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ghost Hunters. They used to edit show, yeah. that. There was nothing going on in that show. Yeah. Oh, they just yeah, it's all editing. It right? they, they had to make it that? happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, put a little lens flare there. <laughs> it's really kind of stupid, but yeah. Look, I I'm I, I, uh, I'm very skeptical of this stuff, but I dealt I I had an experience like a year and a half ago, so now I'm I'm open minded. You know, I I don't hmm. fucking know. I had. What was your was, experience? Um. I was in Savannah, Georgia, the most haunted city in America, so that really... Um, but yeah, no, I went down there, um, me and Gab, we um, we went to the Sorrell Weed House, we were doing the uh, the touring thing, hanging out, checking out the historic buildings, um, and Justin texted me, and he said, um, Demolik is playing Vitus. This was the show that was canceled, because this was right before lockdown. So the woman's giving us a tour guide. It's, uh, I think it's like seven people on the tour. And um, I'm trying to buy tickets to go see Demolik because they just went up and Vitus only does 220 people. So I'm on my phone. I'm not paying attention to this. And I'm walking up the stairs and I start hearing someone playing piano. And there's another tour like uh, uh, um, happening in the house. I hear this piano. I'm pretty sure it was Farrelise. And I didn't think anything of it because I was... Trying to get the tickets. So I get the tickets. Gabby's like, pay attention. Uh, we paid for this. Um, learn. So there I am learning. And at the end of the tour, I asked the tour guy, like, um, something about the piano. And she goes, oh, that piano hasn't worked in years. And I was like, oh, so I just, like, heard something. Um, I could hear it. It was resonating. It wasn't like a phone. Like, I'm an audio engineer. I could tell when it's a real piano. So, yeah, that really creeped me out. Um, That's a good one. Yeah. But, yeah, apparently... Yeah, it hasn't worked in years. That's what I was told. And everyone in the... Uh, there was one one dude in the tour group who was, like, super excited for me. He was just like, dude. <laughs> dude, do you know what that means? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm, gonna, I'm going to the bar now. 
you like, had a happening. <laughs> you had a happening. Yeah, just like the blanket. What it doesn't mean anything. I mean, it's it it means maybe there's more. But uh, in terms of a message, people always think ghosts are giving us messages. That's giving you a stupid message. Yeah. Why would you give a shit if you're a ghost? I happen you know? to know I'm not that important. Like this, this would be you know <laughs> very very short sighted of an eternal beast. That would try to give me some. Like I'm not going to tell anyone. You know, I'm making <laughs> I'm making light of it on a podcast. That's about as far as I get. I, I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I don't, who knows what the intention could be, but uh, I, both both sound to me like just maybe something trying to be noticed. If if in fact it was of a supernatural nature, yep. mm. I don't know. I, mm. I'm not writing it off, you know, but I, I'm not coming to any conclusions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No yeah. conclusions here. I'm, same I, here. Same here. I'm open minded. You know, I have to be convinced. Uh, you know pretty um convincingly uh but um uh, so wow that that was that was that was quite a tangent man i'm not sure i, have I, I warned you yeah so well well I, I i get it you don't want to talk about um you know where you currently are uh you know specifically but you did talk about annoying ghost hunters are there any stories like that like are there any ghost hunters that you just want like like, like you had to like turn away maybe or deal with or just anything oh, like that man. or is it like okay, a frequent I'm gonna, occasion? I'm, I'm going to break any dowsing rods. <laughs> I'm going to try to navigate this without giving away too many details. I, I'll, I'll say this: I uh, I work in security, and uh, like well, anywhere I said, can be haunted, so that's that's wide open. Well, uh, the I work in security in this place that I work at. This facility I work at is adjoined by this historical haunted house. Allegedly. And, the uh, I've been working at this place for over like 13 years, and mostly, uh, and I'm mostly near this. Uh, I go into this haunted house and am near it and around it a lot because it's part of the facility. We have offices there and so forth. And one night, they said, "Oh, during your shift, we're going to have this guy from the UK. He's coming in, and he wants you to." take him around and show him where all the hauntings are because <laughs> he's writing a book and i said well tell him right now there's no hauntings it's it's, it's fine like, no no no. he's writing a book he's like well then he's gonna m- make up a bunch of shit because i've worked here forever there's no hauntings there's just a lot of problems i have to deal with with different things i got to check on and shit i got to make sure it's not blowing up and so forth but um so the guy came in and he actually paid to spend the night in this haunted house and i just said i don't want to have anything to do with this guy (laughs) this is this is horse shit and about a year later this huge thick book came out about his night there which i was there too nothing happened it's perfectly normal night i came and went walked around the area he was in because he didn't bothered uh, you know, did my things, and then he comes out with this huge book about all this crazy shit that happened, <laughs> and how it was, it was, you know, a night to, to, you know, a night of terror. It's like, motherfucker, I've had a billion nights of terror in that place, and it's it's a wonderful, it's creepy as shit. Like I said, I love creepy shit, but, uh, yeah, that guy, I, I don't know his name. I actually don't have the book. I should buy the book, because it, it'll be hilarious. I just saw a copy of it at work. Because people were passing it around. Oh, this is about where we work at. Like, yeah, I know. It's full of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> the guy huffing paint, screaming about ghosts, writing <laughs> books and shit, using an old typewriter. It's broken. Wow, man. So, all right. So, 
I don't want to beat that topic to death. I feel like that we got some fun stuff out of there, man. Um, but we're on the horror topic. Uh, getting veering back into music. I like something you said before. You said like horror, horror movies are your thing, and death metal is part of that. I feel like I feel like death metal is my thing, and horror movies are part of that. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm, a lot of my friends see it that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so getting back into the the, the music, uh, you eventually hook up with uh, Steve O from Impetigo and do the band. It's Tombstones, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, just, just like how that came to be, uh, you know, hooking that up because that's, I mean, that's pretty much your only band that's listed, that's credited being with uh, an, another person outside of Crypticus, right? Uh, outside of Cropsy Maniac a few years ago. Yeah, well, uh, technically, if you really want to get down to it, that is technically like a Crypticus album <laughs> with Steve-O doing vocals because uh, it's a very convoluted way that came about i'm actually really proud of it because it turned out if you hear the origins of how that <laughs> happened what happened was um billy from razorback wanted he wanted something for steve-o to, to sing on you know he's like as you said worships in Patigo. that entire label just worshipped in Patigo, re-released them they were all uh, they released that tribute to Patigo. so uh, you know and steve-o's a legend so uh, Billy wanted uh, to put together kind of like a uh, super project for, for Steve-O just to, to front. And at first it was going to be uh, Lasse from uh, uh, Hooded Menace, Wayne from uh, Decrepitaf on drums, and I want to say, I can't remember who the bass player was going to be, but then uh, they were going to have two vocalists at first, which is really weird. But kind of like Surgical, they were going to have actually, it was going to be Cam Lee from uh, um, uh, Massacre. Yeah. Massacre, that's it. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say from beyond. Uh, Cam Lee from Massacre and, and Steve O were going to trade off. That that would have been wild. Cam Lee's Facebook page is popping. Yeah, he. Uh, I, I want to uh, get that guy on he, the show. He's a grumpy guy. He's a grumpy guy. But hey, yeah, listen, <laughs> over I'm, the years. I'm a grumpy guy. I'm, Let's chat. Let's have coffee, Cam. <laughs> I've I can only imagine. Let's have deep side coffee. Let's go. I've reached out to Cam a few times. I've seen him do other interviews. If anybody listening, tell Cam Lee to come on the whole. I'll, listen, I want to hash it out. I, I'm angry about stuff too, Cam. I, I don't hey, judge. Uh, I'll actually mention it to him. Uh, see if yeah. uh, he might be interested. Because, uh, you know, he's just restarting Massacre now with a, with a new lineup. He got the rights to it now, and he, he's getting that going. I'm sympathetic to people who are angry at ex-bandmates. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean sadly uh that didn't work out actually with uh cam lee because uh, uh we did a demo and then uh, i mixed the demo to where they both just sang the song all the way through but i mixed it to where they were trading off for each you know for each, every other sentence yeah. or something you know it'd be cam every other sentence would be steve-o and uh, we did that demo, and uh, as I recall, Cam did not like it. He was like, what, what are you doing? Why are you turning my vocals down? Like, I'm not turning your vocals down. That's, what are you talking about? My vocals are lower than his. Like, no, no, calm down. And then he, he just eventually fucked off. So uh, then it was just Steve-O, and then Lasse flaked off. Uh, I probably to do that vacant coffin or something. But um, So then Billy was like, hey, uh, well, here's the thing. Wayne from Decrepitaf has already recorded all these drums for the album. It's like, wait, what do you mean? None of the music is written. Like, no, he just sat down and recorded a bunch of beats. Uh, 
what? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, can I just send those to you and you just write music over them? Like, what are you talking about? Like, let me hear them. And so, yeah, it would just be this, this uh, you know, four-minute track. One track, by the way, one track in mono recorded with one microphone over the drums Amazing. of Wayne going he would just cycle through different beats for as long as he felt like as many measures as he felt like there was no rhyme or reason to it then it'd be over and he gave me about eight of those i was like this is a fucking nightmare so it, it literally took me about i want to say it was like two years to do it because uh First of all, I took his drums and edited the fuck out of them. I said, no, no, this part goes here, this part goes here, I'm going to take this part and go here. By the way, none of this was to a click track whatsoever. So it was just, you can imagine. Yeah, <laughs> so, this is crazy. Uh, so, yeah, it was a nightmare. Like, because he would change speed right in the middle of a measure and shit. Uh, he, like I said earlier, Wayne, not really a stickler for the details so much on a lot of uh, recording I, stuff. So I'm, uh, still, I'm still on trying to, like, wedge Cam Lee as part of a two-singer band. Like, I mean, respect. I'm a fan of Cam Lee's work, but we all know his reputation as someone who can be uh, somewhat fickle to work with, to say it nicely. Uh, you know what I mean? So the idea of trying to put him up as to share to share the front man role. <laughs> well, I think and at the time the band was called Beware with an exclamation point when we they did should that have called it Run D Cam Lee, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but you, yeah, well you as you said, Cam you had no patience Master for that. Jay, bro. So uh I I arranged the drums as best as I could and then I just started writing riffs over it. And my goal at first was to kind of try to be Celtic Frosty, Celtic Frosty with it, <laughs> and uh, that as I kept writing over the drums and kept coming up with parts, it kind of turned into a more of a weird thrashy thing, and it ended up being a lot more kind of like deceased. I felt, and uh, so I thought, oh, I like this direction. It wasn't what I would have expected because I was going strictly on the inspiration from from the drums, and so it, it ended up being a little different than I, I would have thought. And so I actually tuned to a regular guitar tuning on that and stuff. And uh, I, I went kind of more in, in I, I embraced the deceased direction with it. And so it took forever. I did the guitars, bass, you know, like I said, with the drums. And then uh, we we shipped it off to uh, Steve-O and then he'd do the vocals over it, which was hilarious, by the way, because the way Steve-O does vocals is so old school and confusing and weird because he doesn't know how to sync up anything. So what he does is he'll send you a track with a big beep at the beginning of the end of it and then like three minutes of him talking and then he starts saying it's like what was the beep for what was i supposed to sync that up with but, and then so, like he'll, he'll he'll give me notes in the vocal tracks you see me okay better i want you to make it sound echoing. like and he, he would scream out references in the middle of the songs and stuff <laughs> Like, uh, like during certain parts, he'd be like, Vio Gresham! Like, you know, like he would call out what a riff sounded like and stuff. It was amazing <laughs> stuff. I should have just released an album of those outtakes. Yeah, dude, just, but, just send wow. those, those stems out, man. That sounds like a. I'm thinking about it. Have gotta, you ever heard the isolated David Lee Roth vocals from Van <laughs> Yes. Like, yeah, that, yes. I'm thinking about like, like that same, same thing, man. But it, yeah, it was totally the gross version of that because, I mean, he, him, just hearing his naked vocals of him just going to. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, it's, it's amazing. This minutes on end of that. And then uh, I, so some of it I literally just had to cut parts out, place it into the song and stuff, because mm. it was just such a mess to try to figure out. But uh, so after all of that, after about two years, that's what you get, and that's the album that came out. And I was really happy with how it came out, because I think it still sounds pretty good these days, and especially after I've told you how the drums were recorded. Listen to it again, and tell me those drums don't sound great, because I, really I, I went it. through hell fixing those. I, I want to revisit it, ha- you know, having known that story now, man. That's interesting, man. The one mic John Bonham approach. Yeah. <laughs> no fucking no fucking shame. Just fucking drums. That's great, bro. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> it's drums. What do you want? It's drums. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I'm real proud of some of the riffs on that because uh, it wasn't what I would have thought to write. It kind of was kind of more pulled out of me because right. of the circumstances, you know. It seems like like a creative exercise in that way. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, yeah, like sometimes being put in a box yields a lot better results than like just a free for all. Well, um, and I, I brought a lot of that back to Crypticus because yeah, I, I kind of like this this idea of seeing where where the music will take me instead of setting out to. to have a specific you know goal if yeah like i mean just just for the listeners too if you're like writing a demo or something like that like um come up with some weird boundaries like make yourself write a riff in in seven over four or like stick to it like one tempo change like you know a consistent kind of tempo change like be at 180 and then make sure that the next riff have to has to be you know 15 bpm lower things like that like i did uh, for like a year, I wrote a bunch of electronic songs, and all of them were in seven over four at 177 BPM. <laughs> and I wrote a lot of really cool shit um, because I was always in that box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love it's yeah, like you said, a creative exercise is much more fun than kind of just well, I'm going to slog through this. Let me see. Like that's what I hated about, pardon the pun, but that band Slog. Those guys were very much about. We need to sound like this. We need to sit out for this sound. We need to make sure the guitar sounds like this band. Instead of just throwing it out there and seeing what you get, you know, and then, oh, this is something new and interesting I didn't expect. Right. Exactly. Uh, I, you know, it's it's funny. Well, you were telling me about that, about Steve-O's vocals, and, we're you know, we've been talking about kind of like the, these old school way, the Tascam 4 tracks. Uh, you know, I... I had a thought, man. Maybe this is just a random uh, uh, thought. Maybe I should stop doing the edibles, allegedly. But I feel like like with the younger people now who grew up on the Internet, who didn't have the opportunity, like, and I'm not knocking anyone just because you were born in the late 90s or the early 2000s or whatever, man. Uh, but I feel like the, the kids who are, like, obsessed with, like, the ultra-quantized tech... Uh, you know, clean, you know, like, like sterile kind of production quality, metal, death metal, whatever you want to call it. I, I feel like they should be locked in a room for a weekend with like Autopsy and Impetigo records. And then I feel like all the kids who are like really on that like HM2 caveman <laughs> death metal, but like we, but, but like we, you know, they're, they're missing the point kind of. Like they need to be locked in a room with like death's human or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, like we need to have a middle ground here, where like, because it's because it's like back in the day it was just death metal and grindcore, and, and every band had a different sound, and that's kind of like what. You know? Yeah. Now each band from then is a genre now. Yeah. Yeah, it's true, man. Each band from then was their own thing. That now it is like it's it's totally true. I mean, even Carcass is its own genre. Dismembers is its own genre. Morbid Angels its own genre. Emulation. 
even Gorgut's Obscura, which threw everybody on their ass, whether you love it or hate it when it came out in the late 90s, and it was actually written long before that, apparently, like, even that now has kind of become a genre. Like, it, oh, not yeah. that anyone is replicating that work, but people directly inspired by that, you could tell, you know, and Demolich even. Demolich has almost become its own genre. You know, there's yeah, this. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, come on, you're you're partially responsible for that. Come on, sir. It, you it, made it cool, man. It, <laughs> I, I did not make Demolich cool. Okay. Biolich, come I, on. No, yeah, but Biolich was never cool. You cannot argue that I ever made Demolich cool <laughs> because it became cool much after I was off of the Biolich tip. Bro. I I think I just came across our I, next Slaw and Order episode. Well, listen, here's <laughs> the on the court, man. We could do it because in 2006, when Biolich toured the U.S. Supporting Demolich on their first U.S. tour, there was no one at those shows. We played for practically nobody at most of those shows. What's cooler than that? So, yeah. well, no. All I'm saying is <laughs> that by the time they came back yeah, in no 2018, shit. it was sold out everywhere they played. So, all I'm saying is Biolich's cults. All the new bands are posers. Start getting your defense ready. We'll yeah. talk. Shout to Phil. <laughs> yeah, by the way, I'm just joking. Uh, by the way, I saw Gorguts on that tour in Indiana. And wow. there were, it was at a bar, and there were 10 people there. There you go. Fucking nuts. Yeah. Now it would be a coliseum. Uh, one of my saddest stories, like it's a story that I'm sad to have heard. I wish they didn't tell me this. When I was in my early 20s, a friend of mine who was a very prolific drummer, and he drum, he filled in for hardcore bands a lot in the early 2000s, and, and, or late, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, he was with... I want to say Autumn to Ashes or one of those bands um, that was kind of like bubbling up from Long Island and toured a lot. I you remember know, they, they were big. They but, never got uh, huge, but whatever. Um, it might not have been them. Don't quote me on that. But regardless, it was one of those kind of like screamo, hardcore, early metalcore-ish bands in the early 2000s. And he was playing, and he, he came back to Huntington after a tour, and we were all just drinking beers or hanging out. And he's like, oh, Will, oh, you like death, you like death metal, right, Will? I, you know, I was death metal Will. He's like, yeah, we, we, we played this show at this, like, VFW hall down south somewhere, and there was no one there. And there were all these old dudes wearing sweatpants playing before us. It was some death metal band. And I was, oh, like, yeah. in my early 20s, I was super death. So I was like, what band? What, what? I was like, where were they from? What they look like? I was trying to get, you know, I, I wanted to know. And he remembered, dude. It was Monstrosity. Oh God! Of course. <laughs> and and I I worshipped Monstrosity from high school till this day. I love Monstrosity, man. And just the idea that they opened up for like a bunch of hardcore kids who didn't get it, and I still at that point had never seen them live, man, just crushed me. Well, that is the price we pay to be uh, initiates in the art. To be so sick, we, we gotta. You gotta live through the times when nobody believes in in it. You know, now it's huge. Now everybody loves yeah. death metal. Now, oh, kid, every like you said, caveman death metals all over the place. Every kind of death metal. You weren't there for the split seven ish with Agathocles. You know what I mean? Like, like you don't know. <laughs> you don't know what it's like. You know what I mean, man? But but not not you, Pat. You're old they school. Were. Well, you're old school. I I respect that. Yeah, they weren't. Shout out to Ralph on the Hotel Records. Um. Uh, moving forward, Pat, you know, we've been going for a long time. I have one question I do want to get in about Crypticus uh, before we promote your latest album and your, and your band camp that people can go on. Uh, kind of a pattern and something that you've, you've done that I don't know is done often uh, in Crypticus is the way you uh, mix the songs one after the other. 
uh, in like almost like a mixtape format. Um, uh, you know, you you have like like you could listen to uh, several Crypticus releases. Uh, like even today, I, I was in the car and they kind of roll into one another. Um, uh, you know, w- without without a, a solid break, seamless. Yeah, and, and you could you you might think you've heard like one long song after a while, and you look down. Ted, could you tell me a, a little bit about that process? And quick question: Is it influenced in any way by the culture of hip hop mixtapes um, and the way those are produced? Oh well, that's very interesting. Uh, no, at first it was influenced by um, Rain and Blood, actually. And the 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 Rick Rubin produced Slayer albums, which had that weird thing where a song would end and the next song would start almost, a, you know, sometimes no space, sometimes just like a millisecond of space. I thought that was crazy when I first heard Rain and Blood. And I was, uh, that's where that comes from. And I always love that intensity of just like, boom, you know, like, uh, there's no resting space. So, uh, but then also even further though, is, uh, that the way I write music, I keep like a, a riff diary and it kind of, like we discussed earlier, it's kind of, um, just going by whatever train of thought I have at the time. I, I will get riffs out of dreams. I'll get riffs out of, you know, something that's, you know, me twisting someone else's melody. I'll just have a melody occur to me. Wherever they come from, I capture the riffs. And so I kind of just have riffs back to back to back to back in my, uh, in, in my demos. And I'll go through them and go, well, this riff needs to be more, and this riff can be part of this song. And this riff. Like I'll kind of, you know, shuffle them around and then chop them up into the songs that they kind of uh, insinuate themselves into being that's kind of my creative process so uh, but it all started you know on my band camp I have I have those actual quote-unquote mixtapes that I released because I wanted this came from a weird theory that I have that you can take any amazing album and, and if you were to just cut out just the awesome riff, like only one example of this awesome riff, only one example of this awesome part, you know, that no matter what the album is, it'll come down to like 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> you know, that's like if you take Injustice for All and you just take all the repetition out of it, just just the riffs you like, it's going to be 15 minutes long or maybe less. So uh, depending on your tastes. And I noticed that myself. So I started noticing well, maybe I should do that with my own music. And like, kind of, um, I wanted to release an album that would just be kind of, well, this is what the album would be if it was like the the Reader's Digest version of it. And so I have those quote-unquote horror grind mixtapes on Bandcamp that are about uh, 10 to 15 minutes long a piece. But each one of those is a complete album. And it has complete little mini songs in it and like a complete intro and a complete outro and each part is completely distinct from each other. But just because it's only 10 minutes long, I just sandwiched it all together as one track. And uh, nobody got that. Nobody really listened to those or gave a shit about those. That I, They got released on tape by uh, Extreme Ultimate, so that, which is really hard to find these days. But... Um, Nobody seemed to understand what I was doing, so I kind of abandoned that format real quick. And, and just, but then on the next thing I did after that, I said, well, I'm still going to use that process, but I'm just going to, you know, actually play the, the riff four times, let's say, and then actually have full songs, but then I still want it to sound like the end of one song goes right into the next one, you know, or that the, all the sequencing on Crypticus stuff is very, very uh, specific and very, very much like the, the 
final moment of the last that song has to go right perfectly with the be- beginning of the next song and so forth. Okay. All right. Well, that that makes a lot of sense, and it's I was, unexpected, man. I actually thought because. Uh, I, you know, I, I come from a little bit more maybe of a, of a hip-hop background. I've always been an underground death metal guy, but um, I, I collected a lot of mixtapes in the late 90s and early 2000s, and that was, you know, blending one track into another is, I believe, kind of, it's becoming a bit of a lost art in hip-hop, but that was a big deal back then, was making, sh- like, blending tracks into one another while keeping the same uh, tempo of the beat, so the beats just, like, kind of seamlessly flow into one another, and that's sort of, that's something that DJs, uh, used to pride themselves in, in doing and maybe still do and also the idea of the influence of um, uh, movie scores I, I that's that's kind of where I thought it was coming from was maybe those two influences yeah I am a huge hip-hop fan from from the early days not so much these days but uh, yeah the, the way hip-hop influenced me in Crypticus is more kind of in the way I I guess more in the way I, I do the drums have more hip-hop influence than people would realize i i do include a lot of that just like you said having the same beat going with the riffs changing over it or vice versa and that, that there is a lot of that in there but the actual smushing songs together that i do uh didn't come from hip-hop yeah uh and and we talk about hip-hop real quick i'm gonna put you on the spot like um uh, the Dissonant Conjecture podcast put me on the spot and asked me for, for my top, I think they said five. I'm going to say, give me your top three MCs, dead or alive. And like I said to those guys, I'll, you know, even if you're not up on the most recent modern young MCs, like, you know, like I am, just, you know, from your experience, maybe even from the old school or whatever, like, what are your top three MCs, dead or alive? Well, I mean, if we're talking just straight up skill, not not what they release, not their careers or anything, uh, I gotta go. First up is LL Cool J. I think mm. his LL Radio wow. is still one of my fucking top <laughs> hip hop albums of all time, and I still think it crushes today. Uh, LL is great. Um, I'd put Cool Keith up there, just in terms of his nuttiness and weirdness, and Doctor Octagon Dr. is Octagon. still a classic. Yeah, I love uh, just the shit he there's a horse in the hospital you know he's <laughs> he's insane uh so he's great i he's i don't know you know he hasn't seemed to have done anything that's compelled me in the last few years though but um let me see this that really really kicks my ass see i don't i don't give a shit about jay-z i i think he's i actually think he's weak i don't like his voice. You know, he's a genius in terms of rhymes and stuff but it uh, doesn't work for me mm. uh I need someone that has more of a flow. So, oh, I'd go Rock Him. Wow. From Eric B. Rock Him. Yeah. LL Cool J and Rock. Cool respect to Cool Keith, but Rock Him and LL Cool J in your top three. That's that's wild. Um, rock, shout to Rock. But but uh, putting LL Cool J in your top MCs is is the mark. Uh, truly, the mark of a grown man. <laughs> of a certain age. Because yeah, because yeah, it's, it, there's certain people that just know him. You know, hey lover. You know the TV yeah, shows, yeah. whatever. Like a Sharks fan. Yeah, no, no, yeah. No, no. So you know, get, maybe if you, yeah, the old UPN nine. But you know, I was saying to a friend, uh, shot, you know, Chris Basile Pyrex the other day. Shout to him. I was saying, I, you know, I'm a huge Heavy D fan. Unironically. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh shout no, out. I used to have Heavy D uh, his first tape. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and well, I mean, what I said is, 
you know, he had all the marks of a true MC. People remember him for the dancing and the love songs, mm -hmm. but that's a guy that could do a love song uh, and not make himself out to be some sort of sensitive pretty boy. He, you know, he kept it real, and then he could rap about real life topics. Uh, those songs may not have always garnered as much uh, commercial success, you know, as as the you know the you know now that we got love or whatever, you know, but. But LL Cool J the same way, uh, you know, like remembered, I think maybe, you know, nowadays more for maybe like his movie roles and his mm -hmm. like, you know, his kind of like club songs and uh, 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 like, like, you know, songs for the ladies or whatever, man. But you got you got to go back and have a little respect for, for the career, man. It's it's uh, it, it's it's like um, it's from a totally different era, man. Wow. But putting LL in there really threw me for a loop, man. I, re I respect that. I told you I'm old. Well, listen, uh, Pat, something else ladies love. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still spinning the segue, even though I'm a couple of drinks in. Um, uh, 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 recommendations. We talked about Crypticus, and we'll give you the opportunity uh, to plug anything else you want. Uh, we should mention at this point, too, that you have the Crypticus YouTube channel, where you've been providing your own content lately. Uh, if people appreciated this discourse and they want to know a little bit more about your perspective on things and tune in with you, they can check out the Crypticus YouTube channel, uh, as well as the Crypticus Bandcamp page, where your uh, latest uh, The Recluse EP 2020 is available, as are many releases going back. Um, so with that being said, we're going to give you the opportunity now to please recommend, as you know, because you're a listener, one old and one new release by any artist you like, metal or otherwise, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. And, and before we do that, we'll give you the opportunity to plug anything else you want. Mm. Well, lately I've been uh, revisiting uh, Cemeteries and Evil Shaded Gray, which I think is still an amazing album and still a very unique album in the whole uh, you know uh, HM2 school of original Swedish death metal. I think that album is just amazing and creepy and atmospheric i love the acoustic guitars on it. i think it's a very unique atmosphere for for those albums of that time uh, i love the cover art like one of my favorite non-west bends coder cover arts dude i and, gotta uh, admit you caught me out here i'm not familiar with this album you're talking about you're kidding me Come I, on, man. I, have, I am sorry to you and to the listeners i will go home and youtube this as soon as i get home it's tonight. not gonna look good will not uh, gonna look good. We'll take I, I let everybody down. I let everybody well, down. Well, as a as a fan of uh, Finnish death metal, it's more it's a Swedish album that to me feels like a uh, the Swedes doing more of a Finnish hmm. uh, atmospheric, creepy kind of like like I said, lots of acoustic guitars on it. Uh, there's an amazing song. I think it's called Lake of the Dead. It, it's one of the more atmosphere heavy. Swedish death metal albums and uh, was a huge, huge influence on all the atmospheric stuff in Cryptic. Wow. So, so yeah, I, I would really like to hear actually what your your thoughts are on that album. I think you'll love it. Sounds right up my alley, man. I've always been more partial to the Finnish old school sound as opposed to the Swedish sound. Not saying I don't like Swedish bands. I will check that out, man. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Come on, come on here and pull an <laughs> upset for Big Will. So all right, so so let's let's keep going though. Okay, so that is Cemetery Evil Shaded Gray for the old one. For uh, uh, for newer, well, how new do I have to go here? Does it matter? It it's uh, it's subject. You're a friend of the show. Do what you want. <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you so much. Well, I I would go uh, Aeon Aeon's Black. 
album from like maybe five years ago or something. Okay, another that one. Is, you, you, you're picking. You're, you're picking because sometimes people come on here and they're like, uh, "Bull Thrower and Sanguisugabog," and I'm like, "Well, you, <laughs> technically, you're, you're you're right, but I mean, you know, tell me something I don't know, you know." So that this is good. All right, go on, go on. Well, Aeon. Uh, I think they broke up, but another Swedish death metal band. But these guys, Swedish and brutal in the Cannibal Corpse vein, kind of like a mix between huh. Cannibal Corpse style and Deicide style. But with that album, Aeon's Black has, in my opinion, the perfect death metal production. I have matched every album in the world against... Now, I'm not talking the best death metal production. I'm talking the perfect death metal production um because you know like i i still can listen to something like evil shade of gray which has somewhat shitty production on it but is wonderful and sounds great but this is perfection like aeons black if you play the new cannibal corpse next to it it sounds crappy next to it it is the most perfect guitar sound in the history of death metal the most perfect heavy death metal production ever and one of the heaviest albums and nobody talks about it it's 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 a masterpiece like from beginning to end some of the best guitar playing i've ever heard in death metal. wow a, a heavy uh heavy send-off to that one i will check it out um that is a lofty recommendation saying you know about the the, the perfect production and all that have you familiarized yourself with uh classic american band goat lords reflections of the solstice <laughs> Yes, I have a copy around here somewhere, and that has the most amazing drum sound in the history of drums, yeah. especially the toms. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Oh, my God. I want to buy it, but I just can't enjoy it. I, it's like it's one of those things. Shout to Phil Wadey. I need to listen to that <laughs> album over and over again till I understand it, because I don't. Oh, bro. Oh. I've got the JL America edition, okay? Stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Acid Orgy. That's a classic, huh? Yeah, wow. That we could do. We, we'll get you back on, and we'll just do two hours of talking about Goat Lord. She and then that one, that that one ends dark. Dark. Yeah, dude. Oh my god. Um. All right. I'm sorry. I had to when you when you talk about production, that was a cheap joke. But um, the listeners can go back and check that out. They'll get the punchline. But uh, listen, Pat. We could. I feel like we could keep going for a, a bunch of hours right now. But we got to wrap it up at some point. Um, I'm burping. We got a lot of beer. I'm being real with the listeners. I'm sorry. I'm trying to be respectful of your time. Yeah, I'm trying to be respectful of everyone's time in this situation <laughs> right now. I'm trying to get us out of here. Listen, uh, but it's like I mentioned. We got the Crypticus YouTube page where people can keep up with you. Uh, you've been putting out um, uh, content on there uh, fairly regularly as Mega of late. Mega trends in brutality. Yes, sir. Very f- fun little series you've been doing. I, um, you just put a, one out like last month, episode nine or something. I uh, just... Yeah, uh, it was this month. Yeah, yeah, th- yeah. Thanks for checking those out. I uh, I really love doing them. It's kind of uh, I, that was kind of my uh, pandemic project. Was I, I decided to start doing that, and it's just me trying to expose my love of mo- it's. Uh, it's all about modern death metal. I'm I'm uh, trying to expose the modern brutal underground death metal that a lot of people might not be checking out because you know like you said everybody's going for this band or that band that's on century media all the time and not necessarily exposing the underground so i'm very focused on kind of poke into the corners of modern death metal and uh i love that people 
are enjoying it because as you can see I act like a complete idiot in the videos and have a lot of fun doing them because uh, I am hearing that music most of the time for the first time when I'm filming the video so those are gen genuine reactions you're getting from me of, of my idiocy and my head banging and so forth and uh, yeah I'm hoping it'll it'll grow more because uh, I've, I've actually had a few of the bands like some Indonesian bands contact me and say hey thanks for talking about us and stuff and I, I thought that was super awesome so uh, yes, Mega Trends and Brutality on the Crypticus YouTube. Uh, no uh, trademark infringement intended for the band Comic Con and their album, but uh, you know I don't think they're around anymore. So hopefully they won't mind me using the, the name of their album as the name of my video podcast. Yeah, uh, my my video podcast reflections of of the solstice coming soon. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, do, 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 yeah. Do. Yeah, the yeah the, the rim shot <laughs> for that joke, but um, seriously though, uh, and the Crypticus Bandcamp page. Not only can you find many releases by Crypticus, you could also uh, hear movie scores, old school creepy synthesizer movie <laughs> scores uh, that Pat was talking about. Pat Bruss of Crypticus. Um, uh, also, well, Pat, real quickly, uh, are you um, open to? Uh, to, to I guess I'll say the public for mixing and mastering services, or is this um, this this just something that is kind of uh, uh, for behind the scenes? I am open to the public. Uh, it's mostly been just people, like I said, one person handing me off to another person, handing me off to another person. But now that I'm on your wonderful and illustrious podcast, yes, everyone out there, if you would like your stuff to sound nasty but heavy, uh, contact Patrick. At Crypticus at crypticult.bandcamp.com. Oh shit, what am I talking about? Crypticult at gmail.com. And yeah, I, I am open right now for mixing stuff. I got a couple of things lined up, but uh, nothing on the table right now. Okay. Awesome. Uh, and there you have it. I believe we covered uh, all the ground. Pat Bruss uh, of Crypticus, like we talked about. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Um, any closing words for fans and listeners of your work and followers of our podcast? I would just like to say that I allegedly am a huge fan of this podcast, and it was a huge honor to be on here. I apologize for the fact that you're going to have to edit this down into something understandable to the public because of all my flights of fancy and going off in different directions, but uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you guys. A lot less editing than you think. This yeah. has been a lot of fun, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't talk too much shit. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's cheers, really all cheers. we do. All we do is cut out uh, when people talk shit about. That's it. Bleeping names. And yeah, that's all. Obrigado, man. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll throw a couple of air horns when you talked about the four track. Uh, but <laughs> but seriously, uh, thank you, Pat. Man, we'll be in touch with you, brother. You guys take care. Hey, right. You too. Thanks a lot, brother. Great guests. Uh, we talked quite a bit tonight with Pat Bruss. We talked about ghosts. We talked about Tascam four tracks. Yeah, dude. We, we talked about Gold Lords reflection, reflections of the Solstice. It got weird. That, that was a weird <laughs> album. I might propose uh, we do some kind of 
episode with him in the future where we just talk about like a specific type of horror because yeah. he really knows his stuff. And I've been really yeah. into it recently. All the Giallo stuff, all the Italian directors. Huh. That just, we we had to stay on track. It's only yeah. one podcast at a time. Mm. Yeah, it, it was good though. Um, but, but all good things must come to an end. And uh, we've been going for a while tonight. This is the part where one of you guys has to look up the voicemail number because if you say uh, didn't like that we went too long, yeah. If you don't like me, you don't like Big Will, you just want to hear Tom talk all night to the That's guest. Right. If you got a suggestion, oh, nice. if you got a, if somebody's busting your balls in your life and they don't, and you don't like them, if you don't like a metal band, what's up about your, it? Your favorite metal band kicked out uh, a member, and now there's two versions of that <laughs> band, and they're suing each other, and yeah. and, and you like Queen's Reich. That's right. And I'm I'm but the, call. What's what? the number? Yeah, leave us that voicemail, uh, 631-837-3274. Maybe you heard a breakdown and made you cry on Facebook. Leave us a voicemail about it, 631-837-3274. Maybe you had a good time. The only breakdowns that can make me cry are on MySpace, all right, guy? Rest in peace. Wow, MySpace. Bing bong. All right, we do not have a MySpace, (laughs) but if you go to heavyholdpodcast.com, there's links there for the Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook, and the Patreon. You go on our Patreon, you toss a couple of bucks in, you get the bonus episodes. (gasps) Every once in a while, we post on there, we let you know who's coming on the show. You ask them a couple of questions. You insert your narrative. You insert your questions. You talk your shit. This is amazing. Just keep doing it. Yeah. Heavyholdpodcast.com. Dot com. Check it all out. We, we just got, posted a picture we, of me with a fish. We got shirts. <laughs> Buy a shirt. All right, kid. Listen, heavyholepodcast.com. Pat Bruss was our guest tonight, an esteemed gentleman. Please check out Crypticus. Check out his YouTube channel. Fuck Support. Yeah. Get him to mix and master your album so it doesn't sound like hot garbage. Hell yeah. All yeah. right? It'll sound like cold garbage instead. You Shout fucking... out to LL Cool J. All right, yeah. Listen, LL. And, all right, listen, guys. If I was... To hire a chauffeur. <laughs> and I wanted to ride, as LL Cool J said, in the back seat of my Jeep. Mm. Mm-hmm. How many other people could probably fit in the back there with me? What year Jeep? Could be fair to say one. Damn. 99. Let's assume 99. <laughs> <laughs>